everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. This is episode 83. Uh, and this is, even though there's been a large gap in content due to my taking a break for holiday family things and whatever, um, it's a sequel to the last episode. So I do another episode with the same EMN2 that I talked to on episode 82. Um, we had some some other stuff that we wanted to get to, especially like the, his experiences with leadership and chiefs and stuff like that, um, that we got to. And it was a really, it's a fun conversation and it was really great to get his perspective, um, not just as a nuke, but as a junior sailor on submarines, like his experience with leadership and getting the perspective from someone that is still junior in their naval career uh, is something I've been trying to capture for a really long time. And I was really glad we got to do it. So uh, I hope you all enjoy this. Check it out. Um, all right. But yeah, man, like, well, hopefully this delay thing doesn't kill us. So I guess for since I didn't really give you a heads up about what I wanted to talk about, I'm I'm still a little worried about the same thing happening as the last episode, which I mean, you said you got good feedback and I did, too. But I don't want to come across as like, a, you know, just another second class complaining about life. But most of the points yeah. I have, if not all of yeah. them are bad experiences with mostly chiefs quarters and you know a couple engines i've had but then i do have some like positive points to make also just to kind of like counteract that right i think like i think it'll be good because like a a lot of the lessons unfortunately the best lessons that we pull um, from leadership experiences is the negative stuff like i can tell you a lot of the ways that i've done my job over my career have been like the the burned in scars of like I'm never gonna do that when you know when I'm in my chiefs tour or whatever. So yeah, um, I think there there's always a lot of value to pull from it. And also, I don't think we learn any lessons by not examining the failures. And to get it from a, a perspective like yours is going to be really valuable for a lot of people because it's when it, when you're in the position you're in and you still have that perspective, that's the, for me, that's the best time to talk about it. And I've been trying to wrangle somebody like you for a long time to talk about these things in particular for that reason is like, I want to hear it from your perspective while you're still in it. Because while I've effectively been where you are or, you know, pretty, pretty close, right. Obviously we do different jobs, but, um, it's it was so long ago and even for like the chiefs we just pinned it was so long ago since they were in that position that you lose some of that like you lose some of the how it makes you feel in that moment you lose some of the like just the details of the experience and so like maybe you look back at it and some of the bad stuff falls away you know what i mean it's like the yeah. joke about how we get people to re-enlist is like you forget all the bad things and you only remember <laughs> the good so I'm pumped. I'm pumped to hear all of your stories and and for us to kind of break them down and talk about them because I think this is the time to do it where the stuff is still fresh. You're still in that position where you know what it's like to be a second class on a submarine still like vividly. And so, um, yeah, man, I think I don't I don't think I think we'll productively guide the conversation in a way that won't make it reflect on you in that way. I think that we're we're purposely picking the negative experiences. And like you said, you'll share some positive ones as well. And I'm sure I will, but the negative stuff is is where we're gonna get the most, you know, goodness from. It's where the lessons are gonna come from. So Yeah, we'll I'm not happy. as worried about it either because when I was on my first boat, I was just the typical super angry nuke, like just snapping on people all day every day and like <laughs> going home and being all upset. Like, you know, you get home, you make a 
a uh, decently stiff drink and play your video games like yep but so once i left that first boat i just kind of like i mean especially with i met my wife like halfway through being on that boat and so once i left there she kind of pushed me to like you need to chill out before you go to this next place like just kind of reset yourself yeah and that's when i kind of realized like maybe i am too angry (laughs) yeah dude that's good that's what it took for me it was i i've I've gone out of my way to talk openly about like me going to mental health and stuff because it took my wife to kind of punch me in the side of the head and just be like, no, really, you have a problem. You need to go talk to somebody about this because I, she was dealing with a lot of the negative uh, effects of it. So that's awesome. But, um, I mean, yeah, I guess we can just kind of like jump straight into it from there then. So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I do want to start off with one point that we didn't get to in the last episode, the the detailing process of how okay. I got to, you know, my my second kind of submarine, quote unquote. I really want to get into like specifics because okay. I don't want to talk too much about like, you know, specific commands that these stories are happening at. But uh, right. So like I said, the last episode, I need to stay in Virginia for like family issues and uh, mm. just staying in the Norfolk area was best for me. So it took me, I think about four months to finally get a hold of the EDIV detailer, which was wow. calling him multiple times a week. And then if I was underway, my wife would try to call him once or twice a week, leaving voicemails, emailing him. Uh, I even got my EDMC mm. on my first boat to email him at one point just to see if, you know, wow. throwing a anchor with a star on it was going to help at all. But, didn't really get anywhere. Yeah. But, uh, so that's super disheartening. And then once I finally got a hold of him, yeah. uh, was by calling the MDiv detailer. And, you know, I, I just called the EDIV detailer and rang all the way through to voicemail. So then it called MDiv. And he said mm-hmm. the EDIV detailer was just sitting right across from him, just hanging out at his desk. <laughs> So I asked him if he was busy or if he just got back from something because I just tried calling him. He was like, no, he's been here all morning. He's he's not really busy right now. He's actually <laughs> looking at me and I'm looking at him. All right, well, can I talk uh, to him? And he was like, yeah, I'll transfer you. So I finally got a hold of him on, I think it was about two or three days out from the end of my last window. And so the dude picked up the phone once I got transferred and sounded pretty upset about having to be on the phone with me from the get-go probably because i've been annoying with voicemails yeah but i real i uh explained my whole situation to him and while i was on the phone with him i was on my navy assignment and he was Mm. basically telling me like there weren't any billets available in norfolk and i told him i was on my navy assignment and i was looking at a couple and he you know was of course surprised by that quote unquote but um (laughs) ended up telling me like you know, you can go here to stay in Virginia or like we can send you to prototype in South Carolina to be close. And I said that wasn't going to work. And then I ended up just applying for orders on my own and seeing how it worked out. And those orders got accepted, I guess is the right word. And I started getting them processed and the orders were getting written. And I went to check one day and Mm -hmm. he had uh, canceled the orders and advised me to a different set of orders in the Norfolk area that I specifically said I didn't want to get, but I mean, I get like stuff happens, but then when I called him and asked him about it, he said he didn't do that. And then, 
you know, on a, my Navy assignment, it shows his name next to advise to these yeah. orders. And I was like, you didn't advise me and your name's right here. So how are you going to say it's not your fault? Yeah. But that whole process puts a pretty bad taste in your mouth for showing up to a new command. Right. And it's just something that you hear from people. I mean, I'm sure it's every <sighs> rate across the Navy, but especially nukes, like you end yeah. up at a, you know, what people think is like a bad command and you ask people like, Oh, why'd you want to come here? And they're like, I didn't. Like, oh, me neither. Cool. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Well, and that like that gets a lot. You lose a lot organizationally. Like leadership's gonna have a way more difficult time. And you just lose a lot that is unless it's a really good command, it's largely irreparable to there were people like that when I, I was at the A school where it was just like they were from because our A school is um, in Fort Lee, right? So it's like about two hours from Norfolk. Uh, and so a lot of people from the Tidewater area wanted a shore duty that was local and they couldn't get one. So they said, well, okay, I guess I'll go there. But then they kept like their house in, in Hampton Roads or whatever and drove two hours every day to get to work and back. Um, so it was like four hours of driving every single day yeah. and they were mad about it and it's like, okay, I get it. But like you, you, there's this part where it's like you chose to not live locally. So I can't like, how do you want me to fix that for you? Like you decided to drive up here every day, but now you're complaining about having to drive up here every day. And it's like, I understand that these aren't the orders you wanted, but there's also that other mechanism of like, you know, the Navy gets what the Navy wants. Like it, you, you signed up for this, all that other crap that you, t- that you say to people. Right. But yeah. um, what I don't understand is why the Navy doesn't program that kind of, like, I understand sometimes like it, it, not in your case, but sometimes when you get on there, there's only orders to a certain place, right? Like there's only, we only need this, this NEC and this rate at this pay grade in Guam or whatever. Um, and nowadays, my understanding of it, and I am not a Manning expert, is that there's like placement and then there's the detailers. And placement is the one that like decides what jobs populate at what time. And then the detailer just puts, you know, square peg and square pole, square hole, <laughs> round peg and round hole, <laughs> at least theoretically. So like, yeah, I just, it, it, you'd think that, and, and it seems like there's some kind of effort to make it better, but it seems like it's more focused on making the organization more efficient than it is about, again, like most things we do in the Navy, taking care of the people, right? And it's like, why are we not trying to put the right people in that job? Because I want, at that A school, I wanted people that wanted to be there because it's like, I, it's, it's hard to, to program that into them. Like I, it's really, really difficult. Even if I get them to come around, like as much as I can, their ceiling's going to be lower because they don't want to be there. Like no matter what I do to make the job amazing, it's like, uh, they still don't want to drive two hours every day. And I can't fix that for them because they own a home and there's all these other demands. And like you said, you had some kind of family thing that yeah. you, that you wanted to stay in that area, got to stay in that area, but then did a job you didn't want to do. So it's like, you're not going to be happy at work every day because you don't want to do this job. And you made that pretty clear. And, then, you know, devil's advocate is there's jobs that no one wants to do. But um, and so there's going to be a certain level of that at some point that's like needs of the Navy. But I feel like that gets used as an excuse far too often. And then 
I wish I understood more. And I was going to, I scrolled through really quick while you were talking about I, episode 66. It's called, So You Want to Go to Norfolk, ironically. Um, talks a lot about detailing stuff that my buddy Tony, he was like a ECM slash detailer a couple different times. Um, understands it a lot more than I do. I, I'd like to get somebody else on to kind of dive deeper into that just to get a better understanding of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish I had more insight on it, but it, big picture, it seems like it, I, like we could just do such a better job of of putting people where they want to be while simultaneously like meeting the needs of the Navy, at well, least in a broader swath so that it's like people are happier. I get the the needs of the Navy side. I know, especially for nukes, it's hard to stay yeah. in Norfolk for shore duties and stuff like that. But at the same time, yeah. like I had orders to uh, basically, you know, something like NRMD, like an uh, availability support yeah. kind of thing. And the orders mm-hmm. were processing and then got advised and all that. But then even when I showed up to that second command, because I was very upset about the whole thing and how it had gone when I was doing all my check-ins talking to, you know, the Cobb and EDMC. And I even kind of made like a side handed, like comment to it, to the captain when I was doing the check-in with him. Like I didn't want to be here. I specifically asked not to, I have very legitimate reasons to have the other orders I was supposed to get. And all of them, like all the way mm-hmm. up told me, you know, we on purpose had a couple people rerouted because that, maintenance activity is overmanned. So you're just here to support maintenance. And then when this uh, boat is done doing its thing, you'll be sent back to that maintenance activity. And so at first I was like, okay, well that that actually doesn't sound too bad. Cause I, I like doing maintenance, like, you know, electricians, you get to mess around in panels and stuff. And I, I get some kind of satisfaction out of that. But then right after I got told all you're going to do is maintenance, I get handed my usual nuke, stack of qual cards like oh you gotta qualify like you know steaming at sea watches like this is the exact opposite of what i was just told but okay (laughs) (laughs) neat yeah and man i like detailing is like this weird like i don't gremlin in the room that just I really wish there was a lot more transparency and a lot more because it's one of those things where it's like, why do I not understand? I'm a master chief. I've been doing this for 20 years. Why do I not understand in great detail what actually happens? And and one could say, well, it's because you're not paying attention and here's a PowerPoint for you to study. And it's like, that's not what I mean. I don't mean like I could read the My Navy Assignment User Guide. Great. Thanks. But like I'm talking about like what's happening in Millington. Like, why do I not have a deep understanding of what's actually going on there. And and could I go figure it out by using my network? Yeah, probably. But like, why is it not super transparent? Like, why don't you have access to the things that would give you that kind of transparency so that you understand exactly what you need to do to get to where you want to be? And it's like, at the very least, it's kind of like advancement where it's like, if you put enough stuff out there, it's like, do you know exactly what happens at the cheese board? No, but I can tell you enough. And I have through podcasts and everything else. And so has like they put out through precepts and board convening letters and like PowerPoints from the the board and everything else where and the advancement manual, like, you know, pretty much exactly what happens there. And I know I was a board member. So like, I know I know exactly what happens there. But like the training material that's accessible by everyone 
it, it paints a pretty it's like a 90 percent product like you and there's some stuff that's kept confidential because to discuss it would like it'd get a little weird for the people that aren't selected and the people you know what i mean but yeah and it's not perfect i can tell you that for sure like in that in the episode that i did of how to make chief it's like it's not perfect i'm not i think they could do far better but it's not corrupt and like you know what i mean like it's just not designed as efficiently as it could be to select the best possible people but like in this case with detailing i just i don't understand why all that stuff is not super accessible and transparent and why the process isn't set up in a way where it's like it should be super obvious why you got detailed where you did and you should have some control at which i know they kind of like oh you get to fill out the thing that says this is where i want to go and like but then you hear all these experiences where it seems like they effectively disregarded that and didn't care where you wanted to go they just put you wherever it was convenient for their little spreadsheet to turn green or whatever they're using to track like billets that are empty and people that they have rolling and it's like i don't know it's another it's another function of like leadership failing to understand the impact that their decisions have on people like in real life and it yeah yeah it's confusing doesn't it blows my mind that they they lose so much trust of the people that like they need to follow them in order to do the job because then these same people that are in those positions roll back to boats and everybody knows who they are and i'm like i can't imagine the pain that they go through i would think i don't know I'd have to talk to one of them, but yeah, especially with the, the edit yeah. detailer at the time, uh, a lot of guys I'm working with right now also dealt with him to get to the current command mm-hmm. mat because they transferred around the yeah. same time. But you'd ask anybody, you know, you, you name drop the guy and everyone always has the same, like yep. oh, that guy, like, <laughs> everybody knows yeah. him. But- I, I had one of those. Yeah. I had one of those as well that I had a really hard time with. But so conversely, though, my experience, I was a senior chief and it was I leveraged some relationships I had, which not everybody has access to. But hear me out. So um, I had access to like my force level people that do my job that can exert a lot of pressure on a detailer. And it wasn't like I was like hooking myself up there were boats available in the area that i was trying to go to and he was just telling me there wasn't and so then i called the guy in the area that runs all the boats and was like hey man do you have any chief billets because this dude's telling me that there aren't any jobs on your waterfront and he immediately lost his mind it was like are you kidding me like i have so many chief billets that are empty like i need so many people blah blah freaked out he's like let me call you back and like hangs up and it it developed from there but I can tell you like, so I'm doing that job right now. Uh, and I tell people all the time, like, call me if you're not getting what you need from anyone, but it's like, especially someone like the detailer, call me and I'll pick up the phone and the detailer's not going to not take my call. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a very different yeah. conversation when master chief's calling you and I'm the guy that like selects them to their next promotion, at least in their mind. But like that possibility exists and we all talk. There's not many of us in the submarine force. So it's one of those kinds of things where um, and I even tell people like I got a lot of buddies that are EDMCs that I'm really close with. So it's like a guy like you call me and I'll get I'll get guys to exert pressure on. And it's not like 
for the, I'm not going to get somebody to like break the rules for you to hook you up with some job you just want. But if you're having a hard time getting them to even answer the phone, which is like their their primary duty, and a lot of them it, nowadays, and I'm sure your detailing process might have might have been before this, but like with the COVID stuff, like I know detailers that haven't been in that building in like a, o- over a year because they've been working from home. So like you don't have the bandwidth really to answer your phone, and check your email. Yeah, so that's, that's um, what blew my mind in, was months of calling and leaving voicemails yeah. and. I was emailing while I was underway and my wife was calling while I was underway and just nothing like yep. I had to call the dude sitting right. at the and, desk and next to him to get an answer. Yeah. And the reason I bring up the call a guy like me thing, if you have access to that person, like, and even if you don't like chances are that person is going to be like, what? And then maybe they have multiple data points. Cause like I had a kid get a hold of me. He was one of my old LPOs that said, Hey, do you like, is a detailer like not in the office or something? Like what's going on? And I'm like, I should be as far as I know, like what's going on. He's like, I've emailed called same, same kind of description you've given and not answering. I'm like, Oh really? Okay. Give me about five minutes. I bet you're going to get a phone call. You know what I mean? And so like sent an email, I just sent an email and he was, you know, like to his credit or like benefit of the doubt or whatever, he was in the middle of the chief season. So you know how that goes. Like sometimes those guys get overloaded and freak out and, even though they're specifically briefed that your primary duty is the main focus chief season is like additional training. They lose their mind and neglect their primary duty sometimes. Um, so yeah. I sent an email just saying, Hey, you know, I understand what you're going through. However, your primary duty comes first, blah, blah, blah. Like I don't want to, I keep getting phone calls that you're not picking up the phone and that you're not answering your emails. Five minutes later, the kid gets a phone call. So it's like it's one of those. And and I had I was talking to his CMC. I was I was getting ready to call the like the Millington CMC, and I have access to those people. So like stuff will go from snail's pace to to light speed when you get someone involved like that. So if you have if you know that person, or even if you don't, and you just know that like hey, your squadron EDMC's got a great reputation. Talk to your EDMC if your EDMC can't get the ball rolling which i mean your edmc would generally be enough but yeah when when you start getting calls from squadron edmcs and like group people and you're gonna see an attitude shift real quick generally um so it's it's a mechanism which it shouldn't have to be that way but it it's how yeah, it you definitely move, shouldn't have how you to navigate be, the, bro- but the broken system yeah for sure just one of the sad parts of the job is that sometimes you just got to be you know just addict to people to get them to actually do their job like yeah and it's i didn't even have to be a dick it was like i sent like a five sentence email that was just like and i did it on purpose because i thought about that i was like am i dropping the hammer on this guy and i was like ah. and i started thinking about I'm like all right what's going on right now I'm like okay he's a chief select so and he's i know him well enough to know that the most likely scenario was that he was overwhelmed and he freaked out and completely dropped his primary duty. Cause I've seen that happen a hundred times, probably more like just chief selects that even though they were specifically briefed and we really drive that point home, we don't want them abandoning their work center to do chief select things, but you see it happen a lot because they're, they're more afraid of the negative reaction. If they don't get this task done, than they are of, what would happen if they don't get their work list done because they manage their work list and there's, you know, a lot of times that kind of stuff 
can get that can might be able to get kicked down the road. And that's the that's the math they do in their head. Well, I can I can do that later. It's OK. Like or or my second class can do the plan of the day and then the plan of the day gets screwed up and then it gets routed to the XO and then the XO is yelling at me because of plan. you know what I mean? And then I've because yeah. I've removed myself from that process. So it's it's one of those things where I was like, all right, let me just send a hey, I know where you're at. I understand you're stressed out but I need you to refocus and because I'm getting calls that you're not answering emails and phone calls and your primary duty comes first. If you need anything from me, call me. I'm happy to help. That kind of thing. It was really like, Hey man, like you need to do this. Like just kind of of course correction. It's probably the best way of saying it. It wasn't, I didn't even go in on him, you know? And I, I think you're going to get a better result that way anyway is like, Oh God. Cause he doesn't want me to be disappointed either. You know what I mean? So he's like, Oh geez, mad. Like the CS master chief is, is mad at me. Cause like you got to think like he's dealing with his chief's mess about all these taskers and there's, you know, one, maybe two master chiefs that aren't in rate. And then you got somebody that's in rate telling you uh, like, Hey, you need to do your job too. It's like, it's, you get a pretty quick course correction. So it's like, I don't think mm-hmm. you need to be a dick about it. And in this was a unique case, right? There are, it sounds like yours was more m- malicious where it was like the guy was just being lazy for maybe he was about to retire. Maybe he was just a lazy guy and didn't care. He was bitter and angry about something else that was going on. Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's, and, and in that case, if I could objectively show that he was just being that guy, which it sounds like w- in your case, it'd be, it'd be pretty simple to call that MDF detailer and be like, Hey, is this normal? Okay, thanks. I'm calling your CMC now <laughs> and just like drop an anvil on that guy's head. But, um, but yeah, it's gross that it, you pretty commonly hear like stories like this. You know what I mean? Like uh, across all rates, it's like, it just seems like detailers and I've had a good one too. So it's like, you know, anecdotal evidence, I guess, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it seems like it's it's just something that puts a bad taste in your mouth, like I said, for showing up to that new command, even though that command usually has nothing to do with it, except for the one I showed to said, you know, they made calls and had people rerouted. But and I mean, even that gets into like the first the first 72 hours or whatever it is. You talking about junior sailor showing up somewhere like (laughs) you can't have a new guy show up and play like the the cool stepdad act. Where you're like, oh, hey, man, I get it. Like, you know, life's hard, but yeah. it's because of this reason. And then the way it ended up at that command was the um, the guy that actually told me, you know, you're only here to do maintenance and stuff. Like, you're not going to have to worry about anything else right before he handed me a stack of qual cards. Ended up not being that great of a person in general, like as a human <laughs> being or the rank he was at. But yeah. so that kind of destroys trust on his end. Cause you show up and like I said, you're being yeah. all buddy, buddy. And then literally a week later, yep. basically was putting an unexpected workload on me. Like, Oh no, this is actually why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Contrary to what I told you before. Yeah. It, and that's like, I, I don't, I it's, it gets annoying. I'm sure for listeners to hear me just say like, and that's why leadership development and education kids, you know, like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it really does all kind of come back around to that where it's just like these people think that the best way of doing things is that, or they wouldn't be doing them. And I, I really believe the majority of the time that 
people in those positions aren't showing up to work trying to suck, right? They're not trying to do things to make your life harder, but they think based on like their own experience, what they were taught, what they saw happen, their validated behavior over a period of time with promotions and awards, all those things. Like it all adds up to behavior, right? They're behaving the way the organization shows them how to. Sometimes the way the organization incentivizes to like um, Paul Kingsbury, the fleet master chief I talk to all the time, he says that like he would point at precepts and convening letters, which like I was mentioning earlier, like kind of like lay out the priorities for advancement that those things drive behavior because when people read them and it says, hey, community involvement, volunteer work, college collaterals, all that crap that we get so frustrated with. It's like, but it's in it's in that document. If you took it out and said, no, this in fact isn't a criteria for advancement, people would stop doing it or at least stop prioritizing in the way that they do. And eventually the the sale of the year boards and the, the ranking boards and everything else would follow suit. But those things drive behavior. So like the the way the organization prioritizes things, the way the organization um, values things and and validates things through what the validation processes it has available drives behavior. And so you get these people that like, Hey, we don't prioritize leadership development and education. We don't prioritize soft skills and, and like treating people with dignity and respect, even though we say it a lot, like we don't prioritize really taking care of people. And like, you're starting to see good signs, I guess through like it, it's reactionary and it's like band-aids on bullet holes. So like they're putting out fires you see a prior priority for like some mental health stuff, like with the warrior toughness program, but it's in reaction to this giant spike in suicidal ideations and attempts, you know, and, and completions. Like you see um, certain things like start to happen, but it's in reaction to allowing it to get to a place where everything's on fire. And I think some of it is like sailors are taking to social media and taking to platforms like this and talking about it out loud that's driving a lot of that change instead of the organization actually prioritizing it as part of like who we are, what we do. Since you're, you're talking about um, people turning to social media and stuff and yeah, I guess these opinions or stories, interactions, stuff like that are all becoming more public, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a double-edged sword. Like it's good and bad, but then you obviously I'm a nuke. So I want to bring up the reactors critical, but you have yeah. pages like the reactors critical who on veterans day recently made a, a post that I really thought was, you know, a solid post, but basically said, mm-hmm. don't burn yourself out for unrealistic expectations. <laughs> that's just one of, I think the biggest flaws in the new community specifically, but I think it's also just a thing of people kind of forget, um, the basic need for rest, I guess would be the easiest way mm-hmm. to put it, which yeah. is why you end up getting a lot of these stories is because leadership is essentially when you get the bad stories, it's because they're leaning more on emotional energy to get themselves through a situation or even just a day because right. they're not, they're not getting the time off. I mean, nobody's getting the time off and I get it's part of the job, yeah. but if you don't have enough time to go home and decompress and get the rest that your body physically needs when you show back up to work the next day, or if you're underway, when you go on that next watch, you're kind of relying on that emotional energy to deal with certain yeah. situations. And then you end up with a lot of people just snapping or 
yeah you, know, you get knee-jerk reaction is a term that's thrown out a lot yeah i um so <laughs> i was just talking to my therapist about this like <laughs> i'm a master chief because i was trying to i was burning myself out for those unrealistic expectations but and I told him, I'm like, if it weren't for cancer, I don't think, I think I would have done this job till it killed me, lit like all the way, whether it was, yeah, I mean, however I ended up there, whether it was like my body doing what it did, or it was, I like look, woke up at 32 years, 34 years in the Navy or whatever, and looked around and I had a one bedroom apartment and, and no family. And yeah. like, all I had was this career that I was about to leave and nothing. And then I, you know, maybe I kill myself or maybe I just, it spirals out of control somehow. Like I would have run myself into the ground in some, I would have found a way, you know what I mean? And it was like, so it's kind of, it, I've, I've spent time in the last year apologizing to a lot of people. Um, also because I don't think, they, I mean, I, I don't think, I know they didn't get the best version of me. You know what I mean? Like when, especially on my last boat, it was, I didn't want to be a cook chief anymore. I was trying to be a three MC because I wanted to do something different and that didn't work out because there was no jobs detailing, et cetera. Like, so I had to go back and do the same job I did, but, um, I was not happy about it. And then ended up in a, like in a pretty good place. I mean, it was, a, it got me back to the location I needed to be in because of family things. But, um, I didn't deal with it well, man. Like I've talked in the past about like stand and dive and the anxiety that that brought and all the other stuff. And I was trying to be a cob still, I was still full speed ahead. So, I mean, I was doing, I was redlining the whole time. And, uh, as a result, my guys didn't get the best version of me, which is kind of gross, you know, like it's your primary duty is taking care of those people. And it's like, I, I mean, like overall, I I took care of them, but I didn't. There were times where it was like they they got a really negative representation of me by no fault of their own. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah, the hour or two I have a day tops to like come down to the mess decks and interact with them. They get I'm I'm angry and snappy and like <laughs> deprived of sleep and stressed out because I have to go do this thing that's giving me all this anxiety and not allowing me to sleep well. And turns out I got a cancerous tumor in my face too. And it was just not a good thing, dude. Like it was bad. And I've spent uh, the last few years, like apologizing to those people, even the ones like I had a kid made cheap, make chief this year that he spent a little bit of time as my LPO. And, um, I don't think, I think I could have done a way better job. I like, I tried, but I think I could have done a way better job with him if I had been doing a better job of balancing and, and what's, what's gross and a little counterintuitive is I think in order to do that, I would have needed to shut down a lot of the other things I was doing, which are the things that made me a master chief on paper. So it's like, well, okay, so what do we do? What are we doing? Like, what are we validating the behavior that led me to, like run it until the wheels fell off the wagon, you know, and negatively impacted my ability to lead or do well, we want people, to validate me slowing down? I think people get used to operating at basically max capacity. Just again, right. that's, I understand this part of the job. I'm going to play devil's advocate and yeah. say it's necessary at certain times, 
but still sure it's not healthy to keep doing that all the time like if you're on deployment on mission yeah you're not going to get any sleep you're doing you know Mm -hmm. you're doing god's work you're out there doing what you signed up for quite literally but if you're in port getting an inspection like why is everyone hanging out on the boat for god awful amount Mm -hmm. of hours and then like oh don't worry you get to go home for six hours tonight you get six hours of sleep like no i don't i have a 30 plus minute drive home i gotta get home i gotta get you know everything ready you gotta wake up shower in the morning get back to work beat the traffic like it's it's stuff like that that's just like you know people just get used to it and i mean yeah personally i've gotten used to it but it doesn't mean i'm happy about it yeah. And then you get into <laughs> stuff like one of my worst experiences on my first boat was when I had to stand in port, shut down in shipyard. I had to stand almost 16 hours of watch and maneuvering because the way the watch bill was working out, we barely had enough people to support that night's duty section. One guy got pulled off to go support uh, basically a secondary watch. Um, mm. I, people probably know if I say control point watch, they'll know what I'm talking about, but so yeah. that put me as the, the basically the only shutdown electrical operator for most of the day. And our engineer That's, came in maneuvering yeah. because we called him in there to point down the watch bill and explain to him what was going to happen and basically said, like, can you get the ball rolling on permission to secure the shutdown electrical operator? Because it's something you can do in port if you meet certain conditions on the plan. Uh, okay. And basically told him, like, if we don't secure the shutdown electrical operator, like, I'm going to end up standing, like I said, almost 16 hours of watch. I'll get a break for, yeah. you know, like go grab some food real quick or whatever. But this is the way it's going to work out overnight. And then the the engineer, the engineering officer, the guy in charge <laughs> of the nukes, knows all these requirements and everything, just yep. looked me in the eye and said, oh, that sounds like it's going to suck. And then walked out maneuvering and went home for the night. And so I stood my wow. almost 16 hours at the panel staring at a bunch of stuff that doesn't change like did he sit at home like watching netflix just writing the like shell of the critique because because like when stuff like that happens i it's you end up at a critique right and it's like because something goes wrong and you're just like how did how did we end up here and then you hear stories like that that you just and, and you're i I can't tell you the number of times I've been at one of those, which sounds weird because I'm a cook. Like, how many critiques do you go to? But like <laughs> duty chief and stand standing in for the cob and department chief and stuff like that. So like more than you think. And um, it it it's I want to come across the table at some of these people. Like, yeah. how how do you, you do would, that and then go home? Like, you I would think a talk like that happened, but it it didn't. The only thing that came of it was the duty officer for that night wrote me a little sticky note. That said, you know, Eamon to blah has permission to sleep through Reveille in the morning uh, because he stood X amount of hours of watch with like this little bit, little, yeah. little amount of break. And so I took that sticky note I, and got some uh, uh, EB red and taped it to the side of my rack, like right where my head is. So that way, when Reveille yeah. went off in the morning and I rolled back over, the duty chief wouldn't come light me up about it. But then the, uh, the I, duty chief still lit me yeah. up about being in the rack. Did it anyway? I pointed the note out to him, and then he got all all upset when talked to a duty officer. But yeah, yeah, there was no no critique or talking about your feelings after. It just became like one of those stories about like, oh, did you hear when uh when this dude stood that much that much watch the other night? Yeah. Oh my god, dude. 
If I was the duty chief and I found out that was real, I would have lost my mind. Like that would have been like a screaming at the commanding officer moment. Oh, wow. And I wonder if the, did the CO even know? Did like, did you know that if he ever was made aware of that? Uh, I honestly can't say. I like to think he heard about it. Okay. Um, I mean, the captain yeah. we had at the time was actually pretty solid. So right. I like to think in my head that he heard about it days or weeks after and kind of gave that engine talking to, but that engine right. ended up getting, uh, you know, we're a lot, we're, weren't allowed to say at the time, but ended up essentially getting fired because they didn't really trust him to be okay. an engine. So he swapped Good. with the I, webs. That was going to, that was going to be my next question was like, what kind of guy was your eng overall? And like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cause that's the other, it's like, what, how does a guy like that end up in that position? Like, and I, I kind of know the answer to my own question, but cause I, I've, I've had a lot of bad engineers. Like, it's, and I think it's, you know, I, I don't know what NR puts into that selection process other than like what PNEO scores or like how yeah, they, they passed PNEO and, and they haven't yeah. you know, broken anything on the plant before, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's like they do really well in PNEO, I would imagine, because like, I, I don't know, some of the some of the engines I've had can barely string together sentences. And so I'm like, how are how are you here? Like, how are yeah. How are you in this position? Um, That's actually the the yeah. engine that I have right now. It's kind of like that. Is <laughs> you know, I mean, he's the engine. You gotta yeah. you know respect him through title and stuff. And he's not a bad guy. He means well, but he's got a lot of right. good idea fairies floating around. Well, I can man if 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 he's a good dude that means well, I can manage that. But like when yeah. it's a guy that is willing to stare you in the face and say, "Well, that sounds like it's gonna suck," and then go home, like that guy. Oh yeah, that was a I'm whole different animal to deal with. Destroy, for especially sure. being yeah, I, I had been on board for six months at that point. I think like I was only qualified shut down electrical operator. So like, what am I gonna mm -hmm. say to the guy? But right, good lord. That's, but that's why you can't retain nukes either. So it's like the type of people that do those things being in those positions. And I've seen a lot of them. Um, conversely, I've had a lot of really amazing EDMCs, So maybe it, that's how it balances out. But, um, cause like I, I'd say almost every EDMC I've ever had has meat puppeted the engineer. So it's like who really want, runs engine up, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, I, I don't know. Like I, I look at it like those types of experiences are a large reason why you don't get nukes to stay in or that when they are in, they have such negative experiences that it bleeds over into everything. And that's why <laughs> the perception exists that uh, I just saw this like Bart Simpson meme that I think trick shared. That was hilarious about like how nukes are natural enemies with pretty much everything. And it just, it was the janitor guy going on and on. It was really funny. <laughs> And it was just like, it's, it's, it's funny when you share the meme, but it's like, when you examine why that is, is real, like why that stereotype exists, it's like, it's depressing, man. Cause like, I don't, I don't know how you, how you like make that better. Even if I had gotten to go back as a cob, like, I don't know how you make that better for them because of all the, like NR is the, is really the mechanism for like fixing a lot of that stuff i mean there might be a way 
where if you got like the world's best triad or like it became direction from like squadron group, whatever, all the way up to like sub pack, sub lant, where to like do certain things in a way where it like relieves some of the pain and somehow manages all of like the EPM, whatever requirements or EDM or whatever the hell um, book tells you to do all this painful stuff. Like it's, I don't know that there's a way to do it where it's not excruciating. You know what I mean? And it's like, so it seems like it, NR is the one that needs to, to examine this, but I, it doesn't seem like there's an appetite to do that. And then also like, I'm real curious. I'd have to probably ask someone else, but I've had a lot of nukes tell me that like my, one of my best friends was a nuke mechanic that has worked in the civilian industry, same lane for a really long time. Um, and he said a lot of the, like power plants and stuff that he's worked for purposely go after Navy nukes, like recruiting wise, because the standards and like, uh, like quality of training and length of training and everything are so yeah. much higher. I've heard the same that, thing. Yeah. That Cause they, they basically think that like, we're like robots. Like you hand them a procedure yeah. and they're going to be like, this is what I have to do. Okay. And like, no questions yep. unless it's like obviously wrong or, you know, you're going to break something, but they're not going to try to try to find shortcuts just to, you know, do something quicker. Right. Which people but you still also, do that, but you know, <laughs> the level of education, like you guys are the experience you have, like the, the, like the level of experience and the depth and breadth of experience. And then also just the training, like you guys spent so long in your training pipeline that it's like, by the time they get you at such a young age, it's like, you're, you're way more experienced and have a higher level of knowledge than people they would hire off the streets from like, I don't know. I don't know if they hire people off the streets or if you have to like go to school for it as a civilian, but yeah, they, they know what they're getting and it's like, Oh, that's what, that's what I want. Like you guys are so much better. So it's like, yeah, I, I wonder if it's, if it's almost like the bar is too high, which I hate saying out loud, but it's like, it makes you wonder like are we doing too much and it's like the easy example to point out is like and i think we talked about it last time a little bit was like the training like how it's like <laughs> death by powerpoint and you just each quarter you repeat the same thing and see the same powerpoint and drone on about the same thing and it's like how much value are you even getting from this and like you said you could like go back in your notebook and look at the same notes from the training before yep. and have all the answers that you need kind of thing so it's I don't know. Yeah, man. it was actually, like, but, I was thinking about that point after we did the last episode about the death by PowerPoint and everything. And I was trying yeah. to think if there's been any legitimately good PowerPoint trainings I've had. And the only one I could think of was uh, my first boat did school of the boat. I'm not sure if that's like a yeah. normal thing, but basically yeah, get unqualified people to go learn about ship systems, get their fish. And right. we had an A-ganger doing a presentation on... I think it was like hydraulics or something, but one yeah. of the eight gang systems and he had like a five slide PowerPoint. And so he's clicking through and he's basically like, this is where the pumps are. This is the power supply. This is the loads it does. And then it got to the end and it was not even five or 10 minutes into the training. And so, you know, all the unqualified dudes are sitting on cruise mess and we're like, oh, this is already over. Like, sweet. I can go back to, you know, doing whatever. And then he said, yeah. we're going to take a field trip. And he spent the next like 45 it. minutes walking us down to the machinery room, showing us, you know, where all this stuff is and like to the boat yeah. uh, locations where the loads are at. And mm -hmm. we were underway at the time. So there's like stuff he can't show us because we're not, 
you know, tied to the pier or whatever, but basically yeah. explaining like, you know, when we pull in, keep an eye out for this or like ask, uh, somebody that's qualified, you know, dive or, uh, for nine G it's like the pilot co-pilot, but mm-hmm. basically like asking one of the guys that's qualified to drive the boat about how this specific thing works. And then, you know, just get an idea of how it works. And at the end of it, um, he basically said like, I'm not going to sign the checkout, even though that was a checkout. Like this is basically homework for you to do. And that was yeah. hands down the most productive training I got. Yep. Because even though you have <laughs> most of the answers, now you're kind of like, Oh, I do want to go see that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And you're going to remember like it, at a board, they're going to say, you know, like where's the ship service hydraulic plant? Like, what does it power? And you're going to remember in your head when MMA two walked you down there and showed you where the stuff was. So you're going to oh, immediately yeah. know, Oh yeah, it's here. And yeah, like, I, yeah, I remember dude, like, I, I thought you were now the field trip and everything. Yeah. Like everybody that was there with me, like standing, you know, yep. in the machine room, in the engine room, looking at the equipment. And that was, I don't even know how many like years ago when I got my fish. Like, yeah. I mean, not that long, yeah. you know, especially for you comparatively, right. but <laughs> uh, it was a long time ago in a land far, far away. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, one of the coolest ones I like I've seen things that like PowerPoint can do some cool things like but by and large, I think it's it's stupid and we probably shouldn't use it much. But like the I had a on my last boat, we used it as like a simulation for um, hydraulic ruptures. So like they would put a screen up in control where it would simulate the all the plant indications for a hydraulic rupture and it was just PowerPoint slides and it it had like an illustration of um like the I don't god I don't remember now like the pumps that are running and not and then like the um accumulator uh levels or whatever and all that crap and and they would start to like change as you and it would indicate like okay during the and so like you're calling it away and you're sounding the alarm you're doing all the things during the drill and then you have to like let the um accumulators go down so that like header pressure then indicates like which side it's from so that you know what actions to take is pretty cool but Outside of stuff like that, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I more and more just hate PowerPoint um, because it's yeah. like it's almost like it it triggers something in your brain that, oh, it's time to zone out and start thinking about all the things I need to do after this or, or whatever. Start thinking about my um, honey to do list when I get home. <laughs> yeah, that, that also yeah, gets um, into I mean, you're talking about death by PowerPoint and zoning out like if that's the whole way you run your training program. Um, the the officer that was in charge of doing the qualifying interviews of my second command was notorious for getting an interview. But I mean, you've you've done all this mindless training and like checkouts and stuff. And then you finally go up to him and ask for an interview. And this is also a secondary point of like, you know, if, if you're in a position to give interviews, how you should not treat people. But he <laughs> would just avoid the interview he'd make up a reason yeah. he'd one time he told me yeah. he had something to do in three hours which was just a little ridiculous but once you finally get to the interview for him um like i said it was my second command i was coming off of a 9g boat we spent 45 minutes talking about life as a need ever on 9g and like how <laughs> things go and you know like basically Uli's about the electric plant and then after that talk about a totally different platform, he was just like, okay, well, uh, 
you've stood a similar watch on that plant. So here's the things that are different and like signed it off. So that just, you're already zoning out during the trainings and stuff. And you go to an interview like that and you're just like, what was the point? Like, right. What was the point of even doing this? Yeah. Which I think we also touched on on the first episode about checkout quality and yeah, and yeah. I think the reactor is critical when he did his episode also talked about that, but you get one guy that's just going to say, you'll learn about it when you start saying the watch. And then another guy that's going to ask you every nitpicky thing about the system. Yep. <laughs> so you don't know what to expect, but yeah, there is a yeah, heavy medium. I, the, the interview stuff, especially like where people are held up in quals because of the interview. It like that always drove me nuts. Cause like I, I found myself, talking to like there were just nukes that i would talk to or like a gangers or whoever that were like oh the eng won't give me an interview the eng won't give me an interview and so then i got i'm like the guy that's like okay fine go stand outside the eng state room and i go into the eng state room i'm like hey sir what's up what's up with this you not giving interviews he's like huh and then it's like you know like every every officer is is programmed somewhere like deep down in their in their dna like to fear chiefs in a certain in a certain way because they were raised by them and in the same way many people are where it's like a lot of time and especially if they're an academy grad like they have these things called company chiefs it's kind of like they're rdcs and so it's like if you come in there in that way they just like they go back instinctually and react in a certain kind of way so it's like and then you know edmc is obviously really good at that too but it's like just go in there and like metaphorically punch them in the face and just be like hey what are you doing like go do an interview and you just kind of can guilt them into doing it that way. So if there's a chief that you can leverage in that, because I, I did it to the end all the time. I'm the cook chief. So it's like, I'm the last person that should probably be doing that, but it's still effective. Like the end was still afraid of me. So it's like, and part of that is my personality and the way I go about interacting with people. Um, but yeah, it, well, that's probably it, like the detailing thing that, too, where you get somebody yeah. outside of your rate calling in, like they're, you're, you're sure. the last person they expect. <laughs> Right. Right. And it's, I'm going to do it a little differently each time, but like, yeah, it's, it's part of it was because I was kind of like, I filled in for the cob all the time. So it's like the cob coming and yelling at the end. Like the end is going to react that like an authority figures talking to him. Um, but still like it's, it shouldn't have to happen, but it's, it's a way of kind of getting around it is if you have uh, somebody available that can do that kind of thing. Cause like, yeah, same thing, man. I, it, it it's got to happen everywhere because I've seen it, you've seen it, and I've heard a lot about it. It's it's one of those I, I don't understand why it's ever a thing. And then you guys, you got guys that are delinquent because they're waiting on that interview, so they're like being denied free time, like you talked about earlier, where it's like we already have such precious little free time that they're going to effectively get denied sleep because they're delinquent and have no control over it. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. hopefully the command is running uh you know dink study delinquent study in an effective way yeah but right. that's actually one of the other points i had uh written down in my little my little notes here but on my uh first command our admc decided that he wanted to do a double dink study basically so uh you could be dink and quals overall and you would have two hours of mm-hmm. dink study and then for the nukes if you failed I think it was more like a, than two. So if you failed three or more CTEs in a row, okay, yeah, you would get put on CTE ding study. Which, for anybody that doesn't know, CTEs is like the monthly exam that nukes take. But yeah, um, so 
if you fail, it might have been it actually might have been two in a row. I don't either way, but double dink study is not effective at all. Yeah. I think most people would argue that dink study in itself is usually not effective yeah. in the way we run it. But so once yeah. we started the double dink study, um, I actually like part of me felt like this. There's no way this can be allowed because you would do yeah uh, the nuke CTE dink study from zero five thirty to zero seven thirty. Work starts at seven thirty, and then the qual dink study from eighteen hundred to twenty hundred. So if you were just not performing up to par, you would be at work from zero five thirty to twenty Monday through Friday. And so I actually went and looked it up, um, like what defines dink study and if there's any limitations for it. And the best thing I could find was the extra military instruction uh, definition from the JAG manual. And Mm. somewhere in there, it says that it shouldn't be for more than two hours a day or like normally shouldn't be. And then if... um, if the workday allows, it should be started at the end of the normal workday or, you know, at some reasonable time, basically, unless there's extenuating circumstances. So I, I printed off that little uh, snippet from the JAG manual and I brought it up to my ADMC and said, you know, I, I get what you're trying to do, but one, it's not working at all clearly. And two, there's this thing that says, you know, normally should not be more than two hours per day. If you're considering yeah. this EMI and I guess you could make an argument that this is not a normal circumstance, but it's still like you're, you're just beating your guys down yeah. and basically show them that instruction or snippet, whatever you want to call it. And he, he looked at it and read it and basically said like, Oh, cool. Like, thanks for showing me that. And it kept going. Yeah. It only went for a couple months. Yeah. Cause I think he probably got talked to after enough people complained. Yeah. But. Well, ironically, and I think it's the SORM, but I'd have to, uh, same thing, I'd have to go hunting through some instructions. But I know for a fact, like, you, you can't work people past 1800 without the CO's permission. So it's like, yeah. if if the CO signed off on it, okay, I guess. I don't see how you could you could justify that to anyone, but it's just like, yeah. And then as far as it being EMI, like, really? I, and it's... Well, that's like I said, that's the only thing I could find that would define what dink study is because there's no military instruction of dink study. It's just a a known thing, which also might be a problem that we need to look into is actually defining dink study and what it should be. So it's actually getting something done. Yeah, I I do think a lot more things should be defined as as like there should be boundaries for them and it should be, they should be a lot more clear, but as far as stuff like that, it's like, I'm going to be that guy again, dude, I need a button of like a stupid sound or something, but it's like <laughs> leadership development education would teach people that that's something like that's not valuable. Like you can't force compliance on stuff like this. Um, very, very rarely can you ever force compliance productively the only times that I would say you could is like if and it would be understood as positive by both the leader and the the person, you know, who you're forcing the compliance of is like when something's dangerous, like or when when I I just can't afford to explain to you why you have to do this right now. Oh, my God. You know, and I'm like yelling at you and I, I will explain it later if I'm doing my job correctly. 
when it's safe to do so or when I have the time to do so. Sometimes there's like a sense of urgency dictated by outside circumstances. And a lot of times the stuff where I would say that it's appropriate is safety related, like a casualty or like you're just doing something dangerous and you, that you're not recognizing it, recognizing it, but I do. And so I, I direct you in that way, like stop doing that right now. But you, when you talk about like forcing compliance for good order and discipline related things, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I use, I've used the hands in your pockets analogy for most of the time I've done this podcast and I used to be the guy that was like hard up on like get your hands out of your pockets because uniform regs say so but then i look at it more now as like it's we've created an unenforceable standard because people naturally want to put their hands in their pockets for a lot of different reasons and it's something that you you can't like point at a negative thing other than what it says in the uniform regs which is like it presents an unprofessional appearance and uh you can't enforce it because it's like if for any chief that tells any sailor to get their hands out of their pockets if they do it because like i tell chiefs and stuff all the time jokingly like i give them a hard time because my cmc does it i think he's like one of the best leaders i've ever met in my life um but you tell them and then the second you walk away they're going to go back to doing what they were doing because it's not hurting anyone and they know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's no real reason that they can't do it. Um, so it's like it's we've created an unenforceable standard and, and we try to force compliance there. And all we do is lose leadership capital. Like you just become the guy that junior sailors don't trust. And it's weird because you're like you're thinking about it like, well, that, you're not supposed to do that. And I'm the guy that's supposed to correct you for doing something you're not supposed to do. So when I do it then you create this weirdness where it's like, now they don't trust me. Like, what do you mean? You, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's like, you just lose leadership capital that way. But then, so you got the force compliance piece and then you get like where I need to, I need to use like productive methods to get people to do a thing. Yeah. And it's, people think that that's productive, that they can just force compliance because of their, their rank and station in life. And it it never works. But then the story I tell all the time that kind of illustrates the point is I, there was a cob that I I went on a boat and did an inspection. This would have been probably a year and a half ago. Um, And on the plan of the day, because I always go look at the plan of the day, just kind of see what they're doing. And then um, I look at some of like the watch bill and to see where people are assigned and some other stuff because I eventually have to like make sure they're qualified and all that crap. But um, it said instead of like where it would have said delinquent and personnel or whatever and like hot runners, it said shipmates that need our help. And they had names and then uh, for the like watch station that they needed help with. And then they would do like these qual things where senior people would show up and junior people would show up and the senior people would help the junior people and it was just made okay like it was created the culture was was like formed in a way where um that's what that was the expectation by the chain of command was that like look it's not it's not solely the brand new unqualified guy's responsibility to get that guy qualified. It's the responsibility of the senior qualified people to help that person through the process. And when they get behind because of difficulty with, you know, uh, retention or understanding or whatever it is, we're going to help them. Even if it's a lack of effort, like, okay, well, why you, you get into like the leadership 
principles. It's like, why is there a lack of effort? Why are they not put, you know what I mean? And like, what do I got to teach them? Because maybe I don't need to teach them about the hydraulic plant. Maybe I need to teach them about like why, why hard work is important and the rewards of it. Um, or but why just it, having I, fish it, in general is, yeah, you know, a good thing. It's not just like some, right. oh, I got my fish and you don't. Like it, it right. does mean something. As hooey as that right. sounds and people, you know, want to say whatever. Like I'm honestly super proud of having my fish and you don't hear that from nukes a lot. I yeah. know, but. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the culture that was created there is possible because like when I was on my second submarine on my first chief's tour, the special boat, um, it, that culture was created by that cob there. And ironically, <laughs> both of those cobs, so the cob on that boat and the cob on the boat I just described, which was not a boat I was assigned to. I was just out there on a ride. Both of them won the Frank Lister award, which is like the best cob in the Navy award. And it's just like, Hmm, like maybe we're on to something here. And it's yeah. because the crew responded appropriately and they performed at a high level, not just in qualifications, but like major ships inspections, retention, all of the metrics by which a cob and the the triad are measured all went like went up. Everybody was doing really well. They were happy to be there. They loved being a part of the organization and they performed accordingly. And it happened over a long period of time to where retention skyrocketed, you know inspection grades skyrocketed um uh misconduct went way down you know what i mean like we we didn't have a lot of captain's bass on that boat we didn't have a lot of drbs on that boat like it happened obviously like junior sailors are going to junior sailor like people still partied and got duis occasionally but like it went way down and so you know you just and and a lot of the ones that like you didn't see happen is like drbs for like work controls issues because people were doing a good job and like had the attention to detail and engagement and they were getting rest and they were happy. Like that was the, the second boat I was on was the cob that was, he had a hard and fast rule in the shipyard that if you were day after duty, you were off the submarine by 1300. And it was just like, like you couldn't introduce new work after 1500 ever. Like if the shipyard came down after 1500 with new work, the duty officer told him to leave. And it was like, he would, he would go up to the, whatever the, um, I forget the name of the meeting, but like the daily planning meeting, like it was not the night work meeting on the boat, but like the one they do with the shipyard. Yeah. Um, he would go up there and like flip out on them. He's like, we said at the beginning of this, this uh, availability that this is not a thing. You will not bring down new work. Like, cause all the only reason that was happening is the shipyard's inability to plan. And then at the meetings, they would say that they wouldn't do it. And then they would do it anyway. Cause you know, shipyard. So, um, yeah, it was just they everybody was happy and and like healthy er, you know, like were they still working really hard? Were they still stressed out? Were they still all the things that we talk about? Yeah, it just wasn't untenable. You know, and and that yeah. that little bit, you know what I mean? Like him being able to that cob being able to recover and give back to them that little bit of quality of life, that was enough. You know what I mean? Like they didn't demand more. They weren't like it was they understood what they were doing, especially on that boat. Like they understood what they were doing was important and they needed to work really hard and blah, blah, blah. But especially in the shipyard, like, do I really need to be here like super late? Do I do I really need to get a 1500 work list? Do I really need to like we're like calling people in because the shipyard brought a job down that after 1500 that we didn't know about? Like, come on, like that shouldn't happen ever. So, yeah, I think that you can gain so much by just doing it the right way. 
just doing it positively, you know, like introducing practices like that for when you like in relation to Dink study where you're, you're productively addressing the issue instead of just like punishing people. Cause that's what Dink study really is. It's like, it's a punishment for not meeting us an expectation that I think you could probably describe as largely unrealistic. Cause I don't think I've ever met a nuke that hasn't been Dink. Yeah, point. no, I mean that's it's super rare, and yeah, and you actually you just sparked up two uh, points in my head. So about when I'm talking about double dink study, and then you kind of countered that with shipmates that need our help. Um, yeah. I had to do some quick googling on my phone here because I I knew there was like a, a name for it, but um, and I'm also reading this off of Wikipedia, so my high school English teacher would probably kill me, but. <laughs> there's a there's a idea in psychology or whatever you want to call it called the Rosenthal mm. effect, um, okay. which is basically the idea of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So there was a study done a while ago, which a lot of people say isn't valid anymore because there's been a lot of counter studies to it. But we learned about it um, back in you know high school psychology class. So mm. I'm basically an expert by that means. But, obviously yeah so um so off of wikipedia here it says that uh rosenthal and jacobson held that high expectations lead to better performance and low expectations lead to worse both effects leading to a self-fulfilling prophecy so mm-hmm. on my side of it you have the double dink study and i mean just the way you know again being a nuke from my experience in this community like and I think I brought it up at the end of the last episode, no matter how well you do, you're always going to get told like it could have been better. You could have yeah, done this more efficient. Yeah. If you're always needling people with those little points, which like, sure they could yeah. be made in some way if they really need to be. But like, if you're always getting told this little thing could have been better, eventually you're going to just stop caring. You're eventually yeah. going to get to a point, which a lot of people do, especially in the new community of, yeah, I could try to, you know, be hotshot Joe Navy on this monitored maintenance item, but like they're still going to hit me on. I used a two and a half gallon bucket instead of a three gallon bucket, like something just meaningless yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Just like that it might, just doesn't get yeah. anywhere. Like there's no point to it. So if you have somebody that's yeah already obviously struggling with the expectations you have for quals or exam performance, yes, there should be some sort of corrective action. And this is coming from somebody who struggles in quals. Like I know I'm bad at qualifying. It's just something I live with, but the way we handle it is not, you know, productive. But if somebody is like right. struggling, you don't need to tell them like, all right, we're going to be here till 20 hundred every night. Yeah. Like, okay, well, For you sure. know, I'm going to yeah. sit here from 18 to 20, just like hanging out with the on watch shutdown reactor operator. If he's in need of her, especially, or like, I'll just be like hanging out up forward with some of my Coner buddies. Like, and yeah, maybe I'll get to check out. Maybe I'll study, but like, yeah, I'm already unhappy at work. Oh, and yeah. You're telling me I have to be here till 20 hundred. Like I'm, I'm not going to make anything of that. I'll qualify eventually. Like, yeah, it's just, it's yeah. honestly the way it goes. And everybody knows that. And everybody For sure. knows think study is a punishment, but nobody wants right. to actually like talk about it or make it effective. I, and I think just by virtue of it being negative reinforcement, like, it, like what you said, it's like it, everybody knows 
that it's negative. So eventually that's going to dictate the response to it. Like, yeah, I'm going to respond negatively because you have negative expectations of me. Like the fact that 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 command thought double dink study was necessary communicates to people that you have low expectations of us. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we can't qualify. So we have to do this all this extra dink study time. Whereas when you're looking at like the shipmates that need our help concept that I'm I'm going to organize an entire like hour or two of the day where I'm going to prioritize senior qualified people's attention in a way that actually helps you fix the problem of you don't understand or um, like just the retention part. Like maybe they, instead of staring at an SSM, like we're all, all told to, or like uh, staring at qual notes they got from a buddy, they need MMA two to take them on a field trip. And that's what they need yeah. is to like put their hands on it and and do those the th- things that they need to do to retain the things. And that's by doing that, you're showing not just that we care about you and we really want you to qualify, but that you're willing to like expend resources to fix whatever that problem is that they're having. And that's going to bleed into everything else that they do. Where it's like any time that they're doing anything, they're going to trust that like their leadership actually cares about them and that if they need help with detailing or they need help with personal issues or they need help with whatever, that the command's actually there to help them out. And the the fun part about that command that I was talking about is like they actually were like you. I, I remember describing it like when we came down the hatch at the the personnel transfer for that inspection, it's like my feet hit the deck plate coming down the let and it the energy felt different you know what i mean because you you come down and they've got like the bathtub set up and there's like people standing around you to like check you on the access list and tell you where to go and you know whatever and there's just all like the, it's like the small boat handling party people are all kind of standing around they take your flow co from you and you, you head on your way and it's like it was just different from the second we stepped on board where you could just tell like people, the look on people's face was different. The way they greeted you was different. Like it just, everything was different and it was like in a really, really great way. And so it's like it, that stuff, it's not just, you're not just fixing one thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. bleeds over into everything and becomes so it's like, uh, it's like, have you ever seen the, the movie? I think it was idiocracy. The guy doing yeah. the reader thing at Costco <laughs> and he's just welcome to Costco. Yeah. Like, if you go yeah. down to a boat, because I've gone to other boats to like get parts or ask for help for stuff with mm-hmm. Ediv, and like, yeah. I mean, my first boat was pretty gross, but you can go down to other boats and you ask, you know, <laughs> who are the tops I watch? Like, where's your Ediv hang out? And he, not excitedly, but he's just like, oh man, they're like right down here. You just go down this ladder and blah blah blah. And you're like, yeah. Oh, cool, thanks, man. Or you get a, again, a tops yeah. I watch. You're like, hey, where are your, where does your Ediv or like nukes hang out? I don't know, man. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nor do I care. Yeah. yeah. And then when you're, yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's when you're making the point of like doing the field trips and stuff, uh, for like higher quality of qualifying and everything. I remember at one point I kind of told myself I was going to start doing better checkouts once I got to the point where I could like sign qual cards. But yeah, if, if junior kids came up to me asking to talk about a fire and a switchboard for a shutdown electrical operator, like, you know, just discussing your actions for it. I started just actually running kids through it. Like, like if they were in it, which I noticed became a way more productive checkout because 
you would ask people like, okay, this pump caught on fire. What do you do? And you just kind of stare at it. Right. And then, um, you would usually, you know, new guys don't really know where everything's powered from. So they'd be like, Oh, I'd go to this switchboard. And so you just walk with them and you're like, okay, show me where the breaker is. And then they can't find the breaker on that switchboard. And you're like, yeah, because it's not powered right. from here. And while you were over here wasting yeah. your time, the fire spread and you just kind of compound right. it and you make them realize like how quickly things can get out of control. And then afterwards yep. explain it to them rather than just yeah. some guy coming up to you and Hey, we want to talk about a, a fire and you know the the lead hydraulic pump and you're just like all right man well you're gonna use you know whatever extinguishing agent and call it away on the forum c and you sign it off and mm-hmm. move on like yeah yeah they're not gonna remember that in the same way they will what yeah like the field like the field trip and then the having to, like the understanding of what happens if they're wrong yeah like that's i like that a lot about like the um the dive and drive trainer when, when we would do um, stuff as chief of watch or dive, like I'd be in there and it's like, you get to play around with things and it's okay if you mud dart the submarine, even though that's not the goal, because you get to see what happens. Like you get to really feel a jam dive casualty instead of just cause like at sea, I mean, we might simulate it with an angle, but that's about all you can do on in the trainer. I mean, that thing does everything <laughs> like it's it's yeah. really cool and you get to see the indications. And if you do it, if you don't respond wrong or, or like if you respond wrong or you don't do it fast enough, like you don't get your immediate actions done quickly enough, like it makes it worse. <laughs> and it's like you get to feel what worse is. And it's really it really illustrates the importance of the immediate actions, doing them in the correct order, uh, recognizing the indications of the casualty and blah, blah, blah. Like all the things you need to do at like reading it in a book and, and talking through it at, you know, Dow cow training or, um, or like even doing a drill underway. It's like, there's only so much you can simulate in a lot of those things where it's like, I, I would say it's probably similar for people when they go to like the flooding trainer or the fire trainer and actually see fire or actually yeah. see like water spraying out of a flange. You're just like, it's different. And like, it's really valuable because you get to safely um, participate in what it would feel like in real life. Because I've been in some submarine fires that, you know, it all worked out fine, obviously, but um, th- it's a different level of, of, I don't know, like stress and the way that you react is a little different but it, it, it is, but it isn't it like it's, and it's really illustrative of like what could go wrong and why it's so you important. Still, right? You still yeah. get that adrenaline rush. Like for us going to yeah. the fighty where you'd sit in a fake maneuvering that's all run by computers, but they have speakers that play the ambient, mm-hmm. you know, noise of the engine room, especially if like a, you know, some sort of steam rupture happens, it gets insanely loud in there. Like yep. you can't even hear yourself think, or like yep. if we run a, a fire in the fighty they'll actually cut off the air conditioning to that fake maneuvering and i I swear they got to put heaters on in there like it would be on the boat with all the machinery running but it gets hot in there like quick hot and stuffy and you're trying to take comms like with your breathing protection on like as much as nukes complain about going to the fighty you get you know that that rush and a little bit of hoo-yah out of yeah i fought that yeah yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's how the diving drive. You get done. It's almost like you get by the end. You're like fried because they run yeah. you through so much crap and you get little breaks um, in the middle. Like they'll do little head breaks and stuff. But yeah, you're over there for like four hours and they like uh, sometimes longer depending on what we're doing. But like, yeah, it's like you, you get by the end. It's like you just get your brain is just mush. Because the sensory overload, like, because the thing is moving, it's not like a platform on hydraulics. And so you feel the angles, you feel the rolls, you feel the, like everything. It's, it's really cool. And the same thing, they have like the simulated sounds and you're, you're sitting at a BCP and an SCP and you have people sitting sticks. It looks just like control on the boat. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's really valuable training in that way where you get to get to simulate the feelings and you for sure. Yeah. Your heart rate gets up, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, for all the times where I'm like walking over there, just like, oh, I gotta go to the trainer. This is so stupid. And then, <laughs> but yeah, you get in there and it's like, when stuff starts popping off, you get, you, you get your heart rate up. The only time I don't is when I have a UI and it's like, cause it's kind of not my problem. It's like, yeah. I'm just coaching, <laughs> you know, like, so I get to detach myself and just kind of like laugh at the dude that's flopping and twitching. But yeah, and that's usually uh, when you feel like the the total expert too. When you're in the trainer with a yeah, UI, obviously. you're watching this kid you mess everything up. And you're just like, how did you not think you, about this? Right, <laughs> you recognize everything immediately. Yeah. Like you start seeing the indications, like like two body interaction. We're getting run over, dude. Like say something. But like when you're sitting there, you're the guy that doesn't see it because you're like looking around for everything. Did I do my logs this hour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um. So then I'm, I'm going to kind of throw it throw it back probably 10 or 15 minutes at this point. The the second it's point you were reminding me of was the whole 1500 release and shipyard thing. Yeah. Uh, I went through the same thing on my first boat when we went through an availability where the CO put out, if you're off going duty, you shouldn't be here past 14 or 1500. Can't remember what time it was, yeah. but, um, and this is also going to lead into a lot of points I have about my first, chief on my first boat yeah who was i was wondering when we were getting to that like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's coming around but uh he was yeah. a solid dude he just wasn't a great chief which is kind of weird because yeah. he came to our boat at his 16 year point and retired mm-hmm. after his tour and like had been a chief for a while but i i don't know that could be like a, a whole nother thing maybe we'll get into that but there was one day where i was off going and it was coming up on 14 or 1500 I went looking for my chief to tell him I was going to be heading out. And he was in that, um, I think it was called the interface meeting where you go meet with the shipyard. The one you were yeah. trying to remember the name of I, that sounds right. It might not be, I don't know, but yeah. he was at whatever meeting and then I couldn't find him. So I told her LPO, but basically in my head, I was like, well, the, the captain said, you know, after this time and I'm off going off going mid watch on top of that, like I'm, I'm not going to be here. And uh, so I left work and I uh, ended up going and helping uh, my wife out with something that was almost an hour away from my apartment. Um, so I drove probably 20 minutes from work to my apartment and went like an hour mm-hmm. past there to go help her with something. And then I get a call from one of the, the other electricians from one of the work numbers. So you see the work number pop up in your phone. You're just like, Oh, great. Like, so I pick up the yeah. phone and he was like, Hey, chief, super mad that you're not here. Where are you? And I told him I was in whatever town. And he said, well, you need to come back to work. Like right now, he wants you back in 30 minutes. And I told him that was going to be physically impossible because of where I was. 
he's like, all right, well, I'll go talk yeah. to him. Um, it was one of the like more senior guys. So he said he was going to go talk to chief and see if he could like calm him down basically. But yeah, get a call back a little bit later. And he's like, he wants you in here as soon as you can. And I was like, okay, why? Well, he's holding everybody else here uh, in injury middle level until you show back up because you didn't have permission <laughs> to leave. And so at this point I'm like super mad about it, you know, being my spiteful junior self and basically told him like, well, you go tell chief, this is what the captain said. If chief wants to talk to me, he can call me himself. And I had like hung up and thought that was going to get me somewhere, but get another call back, like not even five minutes later. I was like, chief's like dropping the mast word. Like he's, he's going to be writing you up for this. I was like, all right, fine. I'll be there in like maybe an hour and a half if I speed. So I get back to the boat and it's like, 18, 1900 by the time I get back and yeah. uh, everybody's in injury middle level and they're all like, they're all sitting down there like, Oh, thanks dude. We're all here because of you. Like, all right. Well, where's chief? Yeah. At? You know, he's down he in chief's home. quarters waiting for you. Oh, so, <laughs> I thought he went home. It's <laughs> like this mother. But, uh, so I got on chief's quarters and talked to him and he basically asked like, why did you think you were allowed to leave? And I told him the captain put out, Literally a week or two ago, the new policy is if you're here off going, you don't stay past this time. And then he came back at me with, I don't care what the captain said. A little more colorful. <laughs> That's a mistake. Yeah. yeah. And so I was just like, okay. But that's like from the captain, like the dude in charge of everybody <laughs> yeah. here. He's like, well, I don't care yeah. what the captain says. We had work to do and you didn't tell me you were leaving. And I told me it was in a meeting, but obviously he didn't care about that. But that was just like yeah. a whole big thing. And then, uh, you know, for for the rest of the time we were in that lull period in shipyard, Edev did not get to go home off going until our chief specifically said so. And he was the the type of dude that would have people there for, you know, just in case pretty yeah. much every day. But yeah, I actually had yeah, that- like five points, I think, about that guy. Just bad experience with him, which, like I said, I, I hate to do because we had Edev cookouts like barbecues at his house while we're in shipyard and yeah him and his wife were super cool you know you let us hang out there if you drank too much you let you crash on his couch like just super awesome guy but yeah it when it comes to like it's not it's not it was just yeah it's not it doesn't like it doesn't mean he's a bad guy like you were saying like it's not like his leadership deficiencies are it's just like a thing he could do better at work. It doesn't mean he's a bad dude. Like I talk about the chief I had on my second boat because I showed up as a first class and then like, I think it was eight or nine months in or something. I made chief and then they kept me there. Um, but that dude was useless as a chief. Like he was terrible. Like he did, he never progressed past being a second class. Um, but he was a great person. Like he was a really great guy. Um, he just should have never been in a leadership position. He was a guy that he was, he should have been in the galley cooking food and he would have made the crew real happy doing it. But like, he's just a dude that promoted for whatever reason and shouldn't, shouldn't have like, cause a lot of times like you'll see, I mean, it doesn't happen as often nowadays, but back in the day, like cooks would get like uh meritorious advance for cooking good. And it's like <laughs> this dude cooked really good. But it's like, that doesn't mean he should be an LPO. That doesn't mean he should be an LCPO. Like he was not equipped to handle that role in any way, shape or form. 
Great person though. Like I, I still love the dude. If I saw him, I'd give him a big bear hug. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, and I think that it's hard for people to separate those two things. And even the way that you're saying it, it's like, you're not, it's not a personal attack on him to say that he did things poorly as a leader. And that's, what's so unfortunate about the way we handle a lot of this stuff is it's like, we're, we did this, um, activity the other night at our final night thing for the chiefs. And it's like, it's an, it was an illustration of, um, a leader's need to be able to accept criticism. And it's like a thing that it's a thing we say that we do in the chief's mess that we don't always do. Like I'd say more often than not, we're probably bad at it, but we talk about it like, Hey, we're, this is a thing that we need to be able to do. So, I mean, at least it's talked about, I guess, but yeah. and sometimes, sometimes I've been in messes where it's really productive and we're willing to like call everybody out and it's done in a productive way. Like, but, um, I'm a big fan of when people tell me I'm doing something wrong. And, and be, like we talked about even before we started recording, like the criticism the last episode got and like what we could do better um, during this one. And I, I hope we're doing it, but it's uh, it's something that a lot of people have a hard time with. They take it as like a personal attack on who they are instead of just like a critique of the way they're doing a thing. And it's like the for this, I, I don't think it's bad at all to talk about those things and, and like get you have to to get better at it. Yeah. Even if it's just you recognizing the lessons in it because he's now retired. It's like it's it's something that if we did if we did this a lot more proactively and it was built into like our institution's understanding of how all leadership should do their job, like we would be immeasurably better for it. Yeah. I mean that's why I made the point of like he was a, a good guy. Yeah. You know, like I said, we would do barbecues at his house and just go right. chill for the night and like, right. Not really worry about anything. But then at work, like, like I said about that thing about holding everybody until I came back when, yeah, I guess you could pin some blame on me because I mean, I, I told her LPO, but I probably should have stuck around for chief. But at the same time, like when I, I come back and he says, I don't care what the captain said. Like, yeah, that kind of struck think- me a little wrong. I, if you hadn't talked to the LPO either and just said, well, the captain said, so I'm bouncing without checking out with anybody, I'd be mad. And it wouldn't be because I was going to flagrantly disregard what my CO said. It's because I need to know where my people are. I need to know if you're leaving, I need to know you're leaving. I'm not saying I would prevent you from leaving, but I need to know that you're leaving the submarine because what if, because what if I had something going on and I, I in that meeting, I got the commanding officer's permission to work that day past 1500 because something came up that you didn't know about yet. So there's that kind of a thing, but it's like, I, I used to always tell my people like either give me a, a notification, just like a, Hey chief, I'm taking off. Um, do you need anything? Or if I told, I would explicitly tell my LPO, Hey, you got Liberty. Cause I'm going to go do a meeting and I'm going to go do all this other stuff. So that then if you go to the, go to the LPO and be like, Hey, can I get out of here? Oh yeah, you're good, man. Get out of here. And it, so if my LPO knows, even if I forgot, which I would do quite often, I'd be like, where in the hell is this guy at? And my LPO would be like, oh, you t- told me I had liberty and I sent him home. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll talk to him tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like one of those two things. You got to balance it that way because I don't want to waste their time ever because their time is so valuable and you, you lose a lot of, of leadership capital that way. Um. But yeah, I mean, if like you're if you you hadn't talked to the LPO, I'd have a different feeling about it. But because you did, I don't think it was unreasonable at all for you to leave. Like 
your LPO told you it was cool. So that's I, that's a chief should be yelling at the LPO if he's got a problem with it. And even then, it's like they're the LPO. Like they're, I feel like they're the people that should be managing Liberty the the majority of the time. And it's like the only time my LPO didn't own Liberty was when I it, it developed into like once I if I told him, hey, don't let anybody leave until I'm done with this meeting. Or, or whatever it turned into that event like it started as i would explicitly tell him he had liberty so that i wasn't on like preventing people from going home for no reason by not being available but once i trusted his judgment the way that i did which happened pretty quickly it was just like a yeah the lpo owns liberty don't don't look at me because i'm all over the place all the time um unless yeah. i told him otherwise yeah i think i think it was totally reasonable for you to leave well and uh, i guess i mean now that we're on the topic of him and getting to the other stories I had from him, just again, just like the few worst experiences I can remember. But yeah. Uh, so one morning um, we were up in shipyard in New Hampshire, which obviously gets pretty cold in the winter time. Yeah. So we had one of our other electricians go out in the morning and start his car up to start warming it up and went back in his apartment or house or whatever. They went back inside to like just let his car warm up for like five or 10 minutes and yeah. finished getting his boots on, getting his coffee, whatever he was doing. He walks back out into the parking lot and the whole hood of his car is on fire. Like Yikes. something just failed and yeah. started a fire. So um, he, you know, got that taken care of. Um, I guess like, you know, fire department, whatever showed up. And then he was starting the process with the insurance. And mm. then he called our, uh, our barge and I've been on duty the night before and I was hanging out in the edive space. So I picked up the phone and he told me what was going on. And I said like, all right, cool. You know, like take care of that. I'll let chief know when he shows up for quarters and our chief showed up for quarters and I told him what was going on. And, uh, me and this electrician were like really good friends outside of work too. Like we hung out all the yeah. time. So and our chief knew that. So he basically told me like, well, you guys hang out a lot. You know where he lives, go pick him up. And I was like, Chief, are you serious? Like his his car caught on fire. He's like on the phone with insurance right now. He's got to figure this yeah. out. That's his ride to and from work. He doesn't have it anymore. So like at least, you know, let him figure that out for the day. But our chief was like, no, I don't care. He's got to be here. We got a lot going on. So, okay. <laughs> we, we can't have that much going on. We're in shipyard where we, you know, can't handle yeah. losing one guy. But right. so, um, yeah, I had to drive out to his place. I mean, we honestly, we took our time. We stopped at. Dunkin' Donuts and got breakfast and took our time <laughs> eating our, uh, you know, sausage, egg and cheese biscuits or whatever in like my it. truck in the parking like lot it. when we got back. But <laughs> it's was, it was just the idea of like, especially being in shipyard, like this dude's car literally just burst into flames yeah. for no reason. But he, he's got to be here because we have, you know, yeah. a, a fan controller to blow the dust out of for five minutes. Right. Like, And I wonder um, how much how much of that is just the like we build this fear of um like disapproval into these guys when they go through the chief season and like i wonder how much of that gets like embedded in the programming you know what i mean like i i because I, I it's not like i don't have that like i've i've had that fear of like the chain of command disapproving like the way in which I'm doing my job. And luckily, like I also have a lot of other processes running at the same time that prevent me from acting insane 
as a result, but it's like you see people do things like that, and that seems irrational when on the surface when when a chief is demanding that you go pick a guy up when his car was on fire. Like if I was that kid, I wouldn't have. I would have been like, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'll deal with the consequences <laughs> when I'm done. But like my car, like that would be one of those things where I'd be like, I'm willing to bet the house that if this goes to DRB. Like it, it won't even go to DRB. Like if it, if he tries to push it that way, the cop's going to like tell him he's an idiot for trying to call me in. And it's like I, at, at worst, I get the cop's finger wagged at me and then move on with life. Like no way this goes to mast. And yeah, so it's like, the, dude, like the what glorious you, bastards line of I've been chewed out before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By better men than you. And it's just like, get out of here with this. Like I would have gambled there, but like it, that's that's irrational and like crazy. that's like crazy behavior where the only real explanation is that chief is so afraid of disapproval from the chain of command that he's like, like you said, demanding that everybody be present so they can work through a innocuous work list during shipyard in the most, because, and I, but to be fair to your chief too, like the type of like night work meetings I've sat at where the CO is just like face blasting people because like they can't brief their night work list or they can't, they don't have a adequate plan in his opinion or crit path work, especially like if it's not going at light speed, like he wants it to, or there's some kind of like hiccup because the shipyard sucks. It's all our fault. And we're horrible people. And he throws his papers and storms out of the night work meeting that then takes four hours because we have to restart it so many times. Cause he's a psycho that should be medicated. Like, <laughs> It's you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. there's stuff like that that happens, man. And it's just like if you've never gone to one of those meetings, it's like it's heavy, especially for maintenance heavy divisions like EDIV, A-Gang, MDIV. Like they get their souls crushed. And a lot of times layered on top of that is this weird expectation that a, a division officer that barely knows their way around the submarine competently briefs the work list while the chief or LPO is sitting right there cringing. And then they're idiots. And oh my God, we're like, if the table wasn't bolted down, I'd flip it over and storm out because I'm a child. And it's just like, you can't win, you know? And it's like, so he probably had a really healthy fear of that type of interaction if I had to. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm going yeah, off no, and speculating a bit. Here. I would agree with that because he, I mean, I've actually never thought about that side, but he also yeah. did complain about how he had never been able to make senior chief up until right when he retired. So maybe yeah. he was just trying to show good face, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, in the same, actually in the same winter, uh, again, New Hampshire winter, it gets ungodly yeah. cold, but <laughs> yeah, the heat in my apartment went out. Um, one of my roommates was a pretty senior mechanic when we first got up there. And then a couple months later, he got out of the Navy and moved out and he was in charge of the heat bill. And didn't tell us that was not included with the utilities bill. So yeah. he moved out like late summer, early fall and stopped paying the heat bill. So they shut it off like right before the winter, which if he had moved out like a month later, it wouldn't have gotten shut off because the northern states have whatever law about. It might be a countrywide, but I know especially in northern states have a law about you're not allowed to shut off heat because somebody stops paying in the winter time. Right. That's literally going to kill them. But yeah. So when the cold first started hitting, we noticed our, our heat wasn't really keeping up and we we're like, well, 
you know, maybe it's just like an old unit. Like maybe you can't really keep up with yeah. the cold and that's fine. And then our apartment started dipping down to like mid fifties. And we were like, okay, this is a problem. So we, yeah, we called the apartment, you know, office or whatever. And they told us we hadn't been paying our bill. And then that was a whole thing about why didn't you tell us, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I went to work and, uh, told my chief like, Hey, our turns out our heat hasn't been working in the apartment and it's dipping down pretty low. And at the time, uh, my wife and I were, uh, dating and we had just gotten a, a little German shepherd puppy. So I'm telling my chief, like, you know, my girlfriend just moved in and we got this little puppy in the house. Like all of us kind of need heat. And then like the other two roommates, like they're pretty miserable too. And then told him that, um, because it's winter time now and they're so backed up on appointments, they're going to be here next week between the hours of Tuesday, you know, whenever they can get there. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so basically asking for a day off from work again, while we're in shipyard and I'm pretty sure we're still in dry dock at this point. But, uh, he came back at me with, well, what does your girlfriend do? Yeah. I was like, well, I mean, she has a job also, but because she she should be at home barefoot and pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, Jesus so I was, Christ. I told him, like, she has a job, but, like, if she doesn't yeah. show up for the job, she doesn't get paid. If I take a day yeah. off of work, I still get paid. And, like, if they show up at nine in the morning, I'll call the barge and see if you still need me to come in. Like, I told him, like, if they show up first thing in the morning, I'll still come into work. But, like, I don't know when they're going to be there. Right. And he got, right. he got all upset about that and uh, told me I need to come in on on that Tuesday until lunch and then I can go home. Which so you probably got, missed the Yeah. Oh no, I didn't I didn't miss it. I mean I got like super uh, upset about it, but I stayed until like eleven on that Tuesday, went home and they ended up not showing up until almost five in the afternoon. But Oh, okay. Uh so I mean that was good. But at the same time it was just kinda like that instant response of well, like, what does yeah. your girlfriend do? It's like right. work? But I don't know. Like also like I dude, I could tell you like during like periods of time where we were getting ready to get the boat to see it's like if one of my guys came up with something compelling it's like yeah don't come in dude like that's fine it's not nothing is that pressing and also like it's one of those things where if there's something going on that you need to do i I don't know maybe i'm just wired differently like i've always Mm -hmm. devoted the bandwidth to like I need you to be focused on what's happening here. So something like that's going on at home, you're not going to be focused on what's going on here. So go fix it like right now. I want you focused. on. And if I got to like pull strings, let me know, call me, tell me what's going on. It would be like, and I, I would expect because if I was a second class, even though I loved my chief, I would do the same thing. I would expect you to not be there at all. Even if they showed up at nine in the morning, like, take the day, bro. Like, it's fine. (laughs) Like the world's not going to stop spinning. And it's like, if I got to pick up some of your slack because of it, whatever, like, because then not only do I have you focus, but it's like you buy so much trust by, by showing your people that you care in that way. Like I care if your wife is and dog and roommates have heat. Like I care about that. So yeah, that's clearly more important than us blowing dust out of a fan or whatever. Like that's on that's on the work list that day, and not just because like it, it's not relevant that we're in the shipyard. It's like if I can afford to lose you, okay, fine. Like go do what you got to do, man. Stuff like that's going to come up, and I kind of, I kind of uh, account for that in my like leadership calculus. Like when I'm planning 
how my people are going to be used and what's going like there's going to be times where i got to send a guy to dental to get unclass ford so that they can go on deployment like because of course they didn't do it when the boat was underway or when we were had more bandwidth or whatever um you just got to kind of try to like i plan for as much as i can plan for and i push people to do all those things ahead of time and hey make sure you get your ids renewed and take care of all this kind of crap while we have the bandwidth to do it so that when it's time to get the ship underway we're focused on getting the ship underway but stuff's going to pop up no matter what no matter how well i plan yeah life's going to punch you in the face sometimes yeah and when it does it's people look at it like a crisis and it's like you should be looking at it as a leadership opportunity like yeah Maybe you're in a little more pain, like because that person's not there that day, especially if they're one of the more competent, useful people in the division. But also, like, I there's ways around that, including me picking up slack if I have to. And it is what it is. It's one day. Like, you're not losing the guy for a week. And so, like, I mean, if something crazy was happening and I absolutely had to have that person, I may ask the question, is there any way your wife can do it? Because if not, like if not, like it is what it is and we'll figure it out. Or worst case scenario, like maybe somebody else is at your apartment. Like we figure out a way to, to so your roommate, like maybe your roommate's on shore duty and I can call his chief and be like, hey, man, I really need somebody to be at the apartment for my guy that day, but I can't afford to lose him. Is there any way you could give him a day off? Like people don't think that way. And it's like, it was, that's it not also just a hard the, thing. It was just the tone that he said, well, yeah, what does your yeah. girlfriend do? Like, right. It wasn't right. a, is she going to be available that day? Or like my other two roommates were also on the same boat. Um, I think okay. one of them was on duty, but I mean, he'd even ask about them. It was literally just the first yeah. question. Like, what does your girlfriend do? Like she has a job, like she doesn't get yeah. paid if she misses even, you know, a couple hours. That's a couple hours of pay that she misses. But Right. Well, then the even easier answer would have been go talk to those other chiefs. Be like, hey, can you afford to lose? Like if I if if it really was so critical that you be there, which it probably wasn't. Yeah. It's like, you know, if if that were the case, but people just don't think about it that way. And so like, yeah, he, he's immediately thinking that what your girlfriend does is less important than you being on the boat to do arbitrary maintenance items, which is not the right answer at all. But yeah, it's it's gross that leaders don't spend more time thinking about the fact that their people need to be well taken care of so that they're ready and focused on what has to happen on the submarine. And, and, but then you bring in the variable of you were in the shipyard. So it's like, if you miss a day, who cares? Like there's, Oh, we got to do this one or two arbitrary maintenance items the next day. Whoopee. Like who cares? And if you brief that to the chain of command, like, Oh, well, EMN two had an issue with this heat at home. So those items are going to be kicked to the next day. Nobody's even going to blink at that. Like I was down a person today due to like them having to deal with a heat, like a heater going out in the middle of winter, in New Hampshire. Sounds like a great reason to not be at work to me. <laughs> All right. Next, next, next division. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. When outside ambient temperatures, negative 20 with a wind chill. <laughs> yeah. Reasons I pretty, don't ever want to live there, but yeah, whatever. Pretty, pretty, va- <laughs> pretty valid reason to not be at work. Um, and then when you're talking about, you just reminded me of actually another point I didn't have written down about him, but you're talking about being like competent people in the division. Mm. I don't want to like, definitely don't want to seem like I'm, you know, tooting my own horn. Yeah. But yeah. When we finally <laughs> left this, I know, I know that already. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, no, I get it. I do the same thing all the time. Like I'm when we, not trying to sound arrogant, but yeah. When we left the shipyard on that boat, uh, 
he told me I had to go underway for sea trials, even though I wasn't on the watch bill at all, because I was going to be his underway electrician to fix anything that came up or do mm. any of the, you know, just stupid small maintenance items, just take workload off of the watch teams. And I mean, that was like a whole nother argument in itself for a whole lot yeah. of reasons, but ended up going on sea trials and that was just two weeks of being up for 24 plus hours and then catching like a four hour cat nap. And then, you know, all of a sudden the, the trim pump doesn't turn on anymore. So now I'm back up like troubleshooting that. Yeah. But I mean, it was honestly, like I said earlier, like I, I get some kind of satisfaction from maintenance or actually working on things that need it. So it was kind of rewarding, but it was, it just still wasn't any fun. So yeah. after that, I, I kind of thought I had this image in his head of being like a competent maintenance worker or like being able to get stuff to work like it should. Hmm. And then um, towards the end of my time on board, we had a problem with, uh, I don't know how much I'm like allowed to talk about the system. We had a system that indicates if it's uh, hatch is open or shut. Right. And when it opens a thing that Edev owns can operate. So he noticed on the controlling panel for it, that uh, the open or shut indicator didn't have either light on. And that was like a whole big thing. It was it was a mm. Friday, and he kept the whole division there until like 16, 1700, <sighs> while he dove through drawings and stuff down in Chief's quarters. And we were going through drawings too, but basically finding the same right. stuff he was. And then uh, at one point I went to the smoke pit and was talking to some of the coners about it. I had an egginger up at the smoke pit and while I was talking about it, I was like, yeah, I mean, if it's not indicating open or shut, that's a external indication. So that would be like the Navi T's. And then the egginger overheard it and he was like, oh, we have this part of the hydraulic system tagged out right now. It probably just lost pressure due to the tags isolating it. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's, that's an awesome point. So I like yeah. ran back down to the boat, went down to chief's quarters and I was like, Hey chief, like I was just talking to, you know, the egg anger. And he said they have hydraulics tagged out and that powers that hatch opening or shutting. So if it's been tagged out for a couple of days now, it probably just residually bled off pressure and it's like intermediate. So we don't need to, you know, send yeah. divers overboard or have the Navi T's figure out what's <laughs> going on. Like as soon as they clear those tags, it'll, it'll probably be fine. Just thinking I could, um, justify basically like us going home. Yeah. And then he was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like just because you isolate a leg of hydraulics doesn't mean it loses pressure. Like if the valves are shut, it should hold the pressure. And I said, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, hydraulics, yeah, where there's pressure, no hydraulic leaks in the entire yeah. hydraulic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like a couple of days before we, we had hydraulics leaking all over control from an isolated leg. Right. Like, but so well, but that. like all dude walk through the engine room like I'm a cook yeah. chief and I know the damn hydraulic plant doesn't hold hydro- hydraulic oil very well. Like, yeah. And so like I told ridiculous. him that he just kind of like waved it off. And then yeah. the next day, that Saturday, he was the engineering duty petty officer and I was on duty with him. And we're at turnover in the morning and, you know, the briefing like any forward maintenance that's going to affect the boat. And egging said that they were going to be clearing tags on hydraulics. So just watch out for leaks and stuff. And I like kept that in my head. I was like, I need to figure out when they're going to do that. And so I found out when they were about to clear tags and I ran back to the engine room to where the control panel was. And a couple (laughs) minutes after I got back there, 
the indication, the shut indication lit up. Yeah. And so I went and grabbed grabbed my chief and was like, hey, you want to come see, uh, you know, something pretty cool back in the engine room? And I took him back there to the (laughs) control panel. I showed him the shut indication was on. And he was like, oh, did you swap the light bulbs? We can't do that without tags. And I was like, I wasn't doing anything sketchy. Egging cleared tags and like restored hydraulic pressure. So it's indicating shut all the way now. And they basically just told me like F off and just walked out yeah. of like that area of the injury. I don't I like, like being, I don't yeah. like being wrong. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, okay, cool. Thanks dude. <laughs> uh, the number of times I have like, so if I've learned like nothing else, if I had, if I, if I had learned nothing else, the most valuable thing I ever learned was to shut up and listen to my guys. And it's not that I always go with what they're saying, but the number of times like my second class has like saved me from looking like a moron or made my life easier or what like like I forgot something or I'm not thinking of a variable or whatever. Like I, sh- I showed up to my very first BN having no idea how to be in and I'm a senior chief. So like I had uh, you would think I'd walk in there like acting like I knew everything. Right. But I didn't. I walked in and like read the room and was like, OK, these are my most experienced senior guys. And I asked them a lot of questions like, hey, how do you guys normally do this? And the whole time I'm evaluating, like, does do I think this makes sense? And then I'd go talk to somebody else. Like I was also running around the building talking to other chiefs and stuff and figuring out like who the most competent ones were, who had the most experiences, experience with it. And then I went down to a boat that was like loading mods, which I had never done before. So I wanted to like see how it worked. And I just happened upon like the best senior chief on the waterfront as well. And so I spent like four hours with him where he gave me like an education, but he validated a lot of their ideas as well. So I'm like, okay, so now I've got two data points, one of which is the best guy doing it, telling me that this is the right move. So it like built up my trust in these new guys that, cause I had just met them, you know, I'm like still evaluating them as well. So like, it, but the number of times that those dudes saved my, uh, saved me from like eating my, eating my hat, you know, like, or just looking like a moron. I can't even tell you how valuable it is. Like, and then you build on that trust and you're like, okay, well, how do you guys want to do this thing that you're going to do? Cause like, you're the one standing galley watch captain, not me. So like I would do it this way because I think that makes the most sense, but there's also preference built into like, sometimes you'll walk in and watch somebody doing a thing and you're like, why are you doing it that way? Like, that's like the dumbest way you could possibly do this. But it's not that they don't understand there's a better way. It's that they believe that that way is the best way. And it's like, you sit there and you're like, but this way is so much more efficient. So I could just force compliance here and make them do it. What is uh, what I believe is objectively the best way. But if they're happier doing it their way and it's not hurting anything, who cares? Like, just let them do it their way because they believe that to be the best way of doing it. The product that I get is still, you know, like of the quality level that I'm at least willing to accept. If not the same quality level, it was just harder to get there, in my opinion. Um, Even if it's subjectively or objectively like harder to get there, but they just like doing it that way better. If they're happier doing it that way, like, who cares? Let them do it that way. And so you kind of build on that and get to a place where it's like they're so involved in decision making that they have like this sense of ownership that you can't get in another way where it's like 
I feel like a really great EDIV chief would have let you all figure that out. And if, if you would have brought that to like, I got a couple of buddies that I think I've told you about and I don't, you might've known a few of them, but they're pretty, they're really senior guys now. So I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But, um, they, if you brought that to them, they would have been like, Hmm, all right, prove it to me. Like it seems possible, but like we need to be able to show like because I'm assuming this this not having an indication thing was of concern to like the eng or the captain or whatever. I would I would hope that if you guys were putting that much bandwidth into it, it was something people actually cared about. General equipment health. Yeah, like it's going to get damaged if we go underway with it like that. Right. So so you're like, okay, well, that seems at least possible if there's a hydraulic leak and and pressure bled off. So prove it to me like find a way that we can show that this is in fact the reason why and maybe it was we wait till saturday and then a gang clears tags and we stand by the panel and oh yahtzee it fixed itself um because we're not getting underway saturday so it's like you could just brief the co like hey a gang has a plan to clear these tags we suspect this might be the issue uh, i will have i have duty and so me and emn2 will be here to observe the panel when they clear tags to see if this is in fact the issue uh, and if it like immediately when they clear tags, the the issue clears, it's like seems pretty reasonable that that's that's the answer. Um, I don't know if there's another way to like really to like fa- like prove it to be like, oh, yes, this is definitely why um, like without without a shadow of a doubt or whatever. But I don't know enough about that kind of stuff to say that. But like that seems like a pretty compelling demonstration um yeah i mean i get like the thought process of wanting to be prepared for the worst but right you shouldn't be holding the whole division there on a friday in port until 17 or 18 just because you're looking through drawings and they can like we might have to send divers overboard or the navy t's might have to troubleshoot you know something external to the ship like yeah and and again based on timeline i mean if it was friday and they're clearing tags on saturday I feel like it's pretty reasonable to just send you guys home after briefing the captain that, hey, we're going to stand by the panel on Saturday because it makes the most sense that it's hydraulics. And I'm going to continue to scour drawings and and do more research to see if there if this isn't the issue, then what else could it be? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it seems like the most likely answer is hydraulic pressure. And I'm going to find out tomorrow if that's true or not. So in the meantime, I'm going to send my guys home, continue to do research to like form, formulate like other hypotheses in, in the event that it this does not resolve the issue. But, you know. I, yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I, th- I think you're really going to enjoy the question I have for you here. But uh, oh, yeah. comparatively to... <laughs> Comparatively to uh, dealing with that chief, which honestly, overall, he was a perfectly fine chief as far as I'm concerned. Like, I know a couple other guys have uh, opinions on their interactions with him, but yeah, dealing with that chief versus how would you deal with somebody that is playing chief, basically? Like, I know (laughs) people say there's a difference between being a chief and being an E7. You know, basically just being a guy with with an anchor on his chest. But I'll give you a quick example. Go ahead. The chief that I have right now, one of my first interactions with him, he told me, and I quote, I'm I'm not kidding you, it's not my job to advocate for you when I had an issue, a very small issue, but 
would snatch his soul out of his body um, <laughs> for saying that out loud. So first, the the uh, the ESET, like and I've talked about this before, so some of the listeners are going to like eye roll, but uh, the chief versus E7 thing. Um, there was a time where I was sort of like, yeah, OK, but then. I had some, ironically, via this podcast, had some, uh, I think it was a couple first classes, kind of throw it back in my face and say, um, you're you're trying to, like, avoid accountability as as an organization. Like, you're trying to avoid accountability for these chiefs sucking. And by by saying they're an E7, oh, like, well, they're just an E, they're an E7. So you need to, like, disqualify them from the evaluation process of, of chiefs. And it's like to junior sailors, everybody wearing anchors, regardless of their background and and like their behavior. And if they've been held accountable via like a, a punishment of some kind, but then put back in charge of sailors, they're all just chiefs. And like these sailors, especially like new junior sailors coming to the command have no idea. Like, so any of anybody they're interacting with wearing anchors to work is a chief. And it yeah. was like, a, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. you're 100% right. Like, <laughs> it's something that it's again, it's one of those things that like I came up through the same system everybody else did. So like I have the same conditioning as everybody else. I've just, I don't know, like disagreed with some of it and then matured beyond some of it and then done more research myself and had great mentors. And it all just added up to me kind of saying some of it's crap but um but i'm st- i still fall victim to some of it which if for a while i was like well i nah, know you know f those guys they're just e7s and then like i had a first class throw in my face i was like uh yeah no yeah you're 100 right like that's just correct and so then i was like we can't yeah, it's it's not productive to say that because of those interact like everybody wearing anchors is a chief which is why i then developed the opinion that um, chief should be able to lose rank at like I th- I think it should probably be above captain's mast for the same reason that they went high into the right and won't allow it unless you basically go to a court martial. Everybody says act of Congress, but that's not really accurate. Uh, you go to court martial, you can get reduced to E one, but uh, it like I think a commodore or like a the most like the the first flag officer in your chain of command at at max should be able to snatch a chief's anchors like paid like should just be able to snatch him off his uniform or her uniform um i mean i'll even i'll even give context for the situation just i mean it's it's a ridiculous thing to say but just why it was so stupid but uh so my second command and the one i'm at now are both in the same shipyard and so we have Mm -hmm. the the secnet uh tokens the you know like high side whatever you want to call it yeah yeah yeah. i got one too uh, so i i had you know a working token on my second command and use that to get to like all the manuals and stuff and drawings and everything yeah. but once i um once i showed to this command i'm currently at the shipyard basically like deleted my access because they thought i would i left with that previous command right and so I, I went to the building where the civilians are out there in charge of that. And I explained my situation to them and they're like, Oh, we'll try to give you access. Just give it a couple of days and it'll work itself out. Yeah. And that still didn't work itself out. And then 
when um, I was actually about to go to the building for a second time. And that morning at quarters, our LPO put out, uh, you know, we know a lot of people are having problems with their SecNet right now. If you have a problem, just tell Chief about it. He's supposed to be getting a list together to give to the XO. And the XO is going to talk to Shipyard and say right. that these guys are having these problems. And Sounds so after reasonable. quarters, I went, uh, yeah, after quarters, I went and talked to uh, my chief about it. Mm-hmm. And I told him, you know, like I had access, but then I guess they thought I left. So they told me it would work itself out, but that was like almost two weeks ago. So I'm just, I'm just letting you know that I'm still having problems. If you want to put my name on that list that uh, our LPO said you're going to be given to the XO. And then, all he said back was, it's not my job to advocate for you. You should just go tell the XO you're having problems. And like, that's why I said like, it's such a small problem, but like that just got, it was one of but, my first interactions and it set the tone of like, you're not yeah. even willing to put my name on the list that you just had our LPO put out. You're making like it's so it's a small problem, but it's not a small thing that he said. I would have snatched yeah. that dude's soul out of his fucking body. Like it, I mean, I'd have told you to step out and then I would, I would have, I would have said, what did you just say? And then I would have made sure I understood the context before I melted his face off. Um, that's not like, that's like one of the fundamental things that we train new chiefs on is that like you, you have to advocate for your sailors, especially within the mess, but just within the command in general. And then like you're your rank is just a tool. Like it's like a thing that you're given in order to like do your job better and doing your job better means advocating for your sailors, like going and using that rank to have the conversations required. Even if that conversation is just liaising with the XO and like handing them a list of people that need whatever access to, to whatever program. Um, But the fact that he said that it's like, and probably believed it. I assume like maybe he's just having a really chilly day. I don't know. Like, but uh, I got to stop cursing. It's giving me more work to do. Um, <laughs> it's like the, the fact that he said that out loud to you, which like, that's the significance of it is like, if he had said that in like a chief's meeting, like, yeah, I would have said something to him, but it, I wouldn't have been on fire him saying it to you in that context of like you bringing your chief an issue and him saying it's not his job to advocate for you. That's the problem is like that. He said it to you. So like you said, the impression, like you don't get that one back. Like you now have this impression that you can't bring problems to your chief because that's what happens there. It seems like an insignificant moment because it's just some list of crap. You got to bring the XO. So maybe he didn't really believe that broadly, but he was having a crappy morning and didn't get his coffee or whatever excuse you want to give. And, and he said that, like, just go tell the XO yourself is basically what he meant. And I'm being real, real generous. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the 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 interaction that happened had you leave with, I can't bring problems to my chief. That's a giant problem. And that's why I would have freaked out is you, you well, can't do that ever. And that's why I let off with the playing chief thing, because I've only been at this yeah. command for a couple months now. But this this dude is a just a well of how to not be a chief as far as I'm concerned. Again, I'm a second class, but like right, right. this is my third command. Like I I've seen plenty of chiefs in and outside my division. This is like it blows my mind I have to interact with this dude every day. Um yeah. 
we had another another electrician who was at my previous command with me. Um, he got transferred over here to stay in the shipyard for mental health reasons because he was in the mm-hmm. middle of like basically a psych eval. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, I don't want to give away too many details, but uh, he, he basically just like the stress of the job. He just couldn't handle it anymore. And yeah. it was starting to affect his marriage, which is not yeah. an uncommon thing, uh, especially in the new community. So right. he finally, after about a month or two of being at this command, um, got everything straightened out and they put him on, um, you know, some sort of medication. And then he got his limited duty paperwork and his chit that said uh this guy isn't supposed to work more than 40 hours a week uh because of the stress of the job and blah 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 these are the meds he's on and they told him to take it back to his command and let everybody know he's not supposed to be standing nuclear watches and all that sort of stuff just until they figure out you know what exactly to do with him so he brought this paperwork to this chief and uh showed him the chit that said he won't work more than 40 hours a week and our chief came back at him with what well, you're going to work 7 30 to 1530 monday through friday because that's eight hours a day and that'll be a 40 hour work week if you have any appointments uh for any reason like even just like dental like normal dental stuff but even going to like medical for related appointments to this your transit time to and from those appointments and the time you're at the appointments don't count towards those 40 hours because I know. And, and this is the super gross part. He told him, because I know how you limb do people get with counting your time at work. I would. Yeah. This guy would, I would make it my life's work to, uh, to repair his worldview. Um, it, and what's funny is like, I'm picturing the last EDMC that I had on the boat interacting with this dude. He was also an electrician and he was, as far as the EDMCs go or even nuke chiefs. I mean, I've known a lot of good nuke chiefs, but like as far as EDMCs go, I would say like without a shadow of a doubt, this guy was the most like people oriented guy I've ever met. That's done that job. Like he cared more about his people and like protecting their sleep and, and taking, like he understood that there was a job to be done and that he had to push sometimes, but like that he was very concerned about like them being taken care of and getting what they need. And like, I saw him destroy some, some of his chiefs over not prioritizing that. So I'm like just picturing him interacting with this clown and sucking his soul out of his body. But yeah, I, uh, I, this he and and I don't know what the malfunction is without obviously interacting with the guy and probably knowing a lot more. But you don't do things like that unless you're being vindictive based on past. I don't know if trauma is the right word, but like like his experiences. Um, that it's almost like he's being vindictive to like make people go through the same crap he had to go through. I would imagine like I, it's the only yeah. real. I mean, that's the only thing we could think of too, but right. It's still just yeah. like, that's not, that's not your place anymore. Talking to people who have been at this command longer. Apparently this guy just got pinned last season and then showed up a little oh, bit after. Wow. So like, they're still trying to figure him out too, but yeah, like one, I feel like once you put that anchor on, that's, that's not your job is to hold those grudges and stuff. And especially not say the stuff he does it's, yeah. it's like straight to people's faces. 
Right. It's not, but I wonder, and I mean, it could be, I say, I, I say the experiences thing. It could be, it could be like what you were saying earlier, like the Navy got his marriage, you know what I mean? And he's blaming sailors as like, he's there's, there could be a lot of things that happened to him and he's, and he's taken it that way. Like it happened to him as a result of, um, the Navy or like, cause you got to think like him being at work, dealing with the workload and his sailors and everything else, it could have had a lot of negative effects that we see all the time. And he's blaming it on those sailors. Like you're the reason why my marriage fell apart or you're the reason why I hate my life so much. Or you're the reason why I don't know who knows, name it. Like there could be a, a million, million reasons. Um, but it's, yeah, I, it's one of those things that I would hope and cause this is the mechanism. I would hope that the chain of command there recognizes what's going on there. And that's, that's the thing I have the biggest problem with is that like somebody like him being in the role that he's in doing what he's doing, it, like that should be recognized and fixed by the chain of command that exists there. But a lot of the time it's not because people like you and the other people that work with him or interact with him, don't have a great mechanism for voicing the problems like saying, Hey, this is like, this guy is doing this and that and saying these things to these sailors and all this crap. And it's like, cause really like is what he's doing is what he's doing, uh, inappropriate and unprofessional and probably even unethical. Yes. Are you going to have a hard time f- like pulling an instruction and saying like he should get an anvil drop on his head? Like, non-judicial punishment style or something like that. Yeah. You're probably gonna have a hard time with that, but the chain of command should still be like that. CMC and department chiefs or however it's structured should be really involved in, especially if he's a new chief, like any new chief, they should be really involved with making sure that they're doing well and that they, you know, have their feet under them. And are you like learning the lessons, how you doing with interact with you. And I mean, I'd go so far as to say like, at least a department chief, depending on how big the command is, the CMC, like I'd be walking around talking to this, talking to you, like saying, Hey, how's chief so-and-so doing? Like guys getting along well, yeah. like giving you everything. So apparently you need, a, like apparently a couple of guys have gone to our CMC okay. and kind of like you were saying earlier, there's not many master chiefs in the sub force. So I actually just made a little mm-hmm. note here. I'm going to, once we're offline, I want to drop the CMC's name to you to see if you know him, just out of curiosity. Oh, yeah. But, I'm curious uh, to see, um, like, the. I'll, I'll drop some other names for you as well to maybe give you some other paths. But, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Apparently, a couple of guys have talked to our CMC about it um, mm. at least a couple times. And I feel like the CMC would, if he's not already trying to make it better, would try to make some sort of effort new? at some time. As the CMC, I'm honestly not sure. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I know think how long I know he's who been it here. Is. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I. I wonder if I'm right. Yeah, we'll talk about it later, though. Um, but uh, this is actually, man. Look, look at me going through my notes. This is actually another point. Uh, oh, yeah. I know the CMC, and you know, I say I know like 99% sure. I know he would try to do something about it because when I first showed up, the Yeoman mm. Chief at my last command totally wrecked everybody's advancement exam stuff. Uh, So I transferred right before the first class exam happened back in September, like whatever, you know, being of September, whatever it was. 
And when I first showed up to this command, uh, like two days into checking in, I think it was like first or second day here, the educational service guy, you know, first class RC ever asked me what was going on with my advancement exam worksheet. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, the exam is next week. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Uh, I don't, I don't know what is going on with my worksheet. And he said, I didn't have one. And so I was kind of like, okay, he's like, I guess we can go talk to the yeoman chief from my last command. Cause he's still kind of hanging out in the building over there where the boat just was. So we, me and this, our seat over went over there and talked to the yeoman chief, basically like walked into the little room he was in mm-hmm. and, um, basically asked him like, Hey, what's going on with my advancement exam worksheet? It's not an NCIPS. Uh, my end of tour NAM from this command isn't showing up in NCIPS either. And he, not laughed, but kind of like he breathed out of his nose. It wasn't like a full laugh, but yeah. when we asked him what was going on, he basically said like, oh, <laughs> I'm not in charge of that anymore. And then just stared at us. <laughs> like that was his full response. He was like, okay, well, you're still affecting my advancement. And so come to find out, uh, he had transferred all of our advancement exam worksheets down to where the boat went. Uh, regardless of if we had followed the command or not. And there was a group of like five of us that stayed behind in the same shipyard. So our advancement worksheets went with the previous command. And then on top of that, when we started diving through NCIPS, I found out that not only did he put my end of tour NAM from that command in, he actually deleted my end of tour NAM from my first command. Like that one wasn't showing up anymore. (laughs) Which I don't know if that was 100% him, but he's the only one that was poking around in my stuff in between those two commands. So, like, I can only, you know, imagine who it was. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, word about that stuff happening got around to the CMC here, and he got Mm. heated, like, visibly angry, but calmly said, like, I'll go figure out what's going on. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Dude, the advancement worksheet thing is, like, so just exams in general too, like there's all this stuff in the advanced manual, but you're not supposed to let people transfer during advancement exam season, but they do it anyway. And then the ESOs all screw it up because the command is supposed to forward your exam. It's not on the gaining command to figure it out, but it always becomes the gaining commands problem. And then like yeah. you are jumping through hoops that are on fire to get you a substitute exam or try to get you an exam last minute or maybe get you to split an exam and all this. It's like, it's so, it's so but even Bad. even knowing like, all that, it's still like it just yeah. it upset me a whole lot when that old yeoman chief, you know, from my previous yep. command was just basically like, yeah, I'm not in charge of that anymore. Like sucks to Man, be you. I like this is literally the, my paycheck. <laughs> I the the I've encountered and like this. I'm not taking a shot at the yeoman rating, but like the, I've encountered very few like admin officer level yns on submarines that like really understand the customer service aspect of what they do and why it's so important you know what i mean because i don't think they've ever had to experience having their pay all screwed up or having their uh awards not be in their record or not advance or any of those things and like not having a mechanism to deal with it because they don't know the system and they don't have the people because they can like walk in the back door at psd and like just be like hey can you do this for me really quick like they don't have to have to take a number and sit there and like do all this crap so it's like 
Um, yeah, or just go in the system themselves and fix it. So it's like I don't. I, yeah, I've had a couple. Like I've had one yeoman chief that, you know, dude had some faults, but like he was a new chief, still figuring it out. But like as far as taking that part, like he was the guy that like was at work. I had to tell him I was leaving my second submarine. And I was the career counselor. So like when we moved over to the barge, they put me uh, in this other office as as like the career counselor desk. So I was in the admin office with the yeoman because the supply office was tiny. And so uh, I was in there with him and he would keep his guys at work till like 1830, 1900. And I'm like, dude, we're in the shipyard. What are you doing? And he was he was like maniacal about fixing people's records and like making he was going like doing scrubs of people's like records for them and like finding errors and fixing them without even the mem- with the member not even knowing like stuff like um he would go through their all their evaluations and he would find these errors or like a big thing when you get to the chief sport is uh continuity gaps so if you have like you detached a command and then there's like they screwed up the dates on your eval and there's a two month gap where you like had a bunch of eye stops where you went to schools and stuff and they just screwed up the dates. So you have a continuity gap in your evaluations at the chiefs board. That's a big deal. They look at it like there's a un- unevaluated performance where maybe something went wrong or and there's not any documentation. So like it affects people's promotions. He was going through and scrubbing all that. And if there was errors like that, even if they were tiny like admin errors on their evals, he was submitting correction letters like without even talking to the sailors. Like I was sitting there watching him do all this stuff. I'm like, what are you, dude, what are you doing? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I appreciate it, but like, yeah, he was no, like maniacal. Be, right. It's just, it's weird and, that that's not the norm. Yeah. That's what I don't understand is how it's like, and he was, he needed to power down a little bit because like he could have got all that work done <laughs> and still sent people home. Like it wasn't something that had to happen today. You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, I'm not saying it should be that to like that extent yeah, where you're doing it for that right. many hours. But that's as yeah, a yeoman, the, the and seriousness. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like you say, you're not going to take a shot at the yeoman. I 100 percent will. I, I have so many qualms <laughs> with yeoman, but sorry if there's any yeoman listening, yeah. but not a fan. Uh, that's how it should be. But yeah then the the stereotype is there for a reason where you get these guys who are like, Hey man, I'm not getting my, you know, special duty pay, like my nuke pay or sub pay or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, I'll look into it. Just wait like two or three months. Keep an eye on your paycheck. It'll, yeah. it'll work itself out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, yeah. And that's how I feel about it. it and more, more because it, it like loops back to the, I want my sailors focused on their job. And so like I've talked to a lot of cobs and CMCs about that, where it's like they've had had the same frustrations about their admin people where it's like it's like they're you're having to explain the customer service aspect of it. Like like I had an interaction with a, a second class that where I got an email basically um, and I'm trying to remember. It was basically this second class was like telling me that they weren't going to route paperwork for me to get uh, a pay I was entitled to based on the like their interpretation of something. And it was it was like a I was telling them like, well, your interpretation's wrong. This is what's true. I'm waiting on a like a letter to come back clearing me completely. But like they, it was based on like whether or not I was qualified submarines currently or not based on the cancer stuff. He was like saying 
while somebody told me that you were disqualified submarines, so I'm not doing it. And I'm like, well, I'm telling you that I'm not disqualified submarines. And if you have a question about that, it's almost like there's these medical people that you could call (laughs) and just ask that question. So, and I'm telling you, like nothing you're saying is accurate. So call them and ask them that question. But he just sent me these like snarky emails and I just, and it was funny because he, he was, it was, he like was so confident in his like power move that he copied his senior chief who immediately emailed me and said, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm fixing it right now. <laughs> and, <he> goes, <laughs> and then like, I got an apology email and all this other crap, but it was just that kind of stuff where it's like, dude, it be the customer service guy. Like the obvious path here is if you have a question about my medical status, you can either ask me or if you are, are concerned that I might lie about it or something, just call medical and just say, hey, is this guy qualified medically to go to a submarine or not? Because that's what qualifies you for sub pay. And they would have been like, yeah, he's fine. He's not disqualified anything. He's not limb due. He's not LLD. He's not like nothing. He's completely clear. I was waiting for a waiver to send me permanent back to a submarine, like which I ended up getting shockingly. All of my doctors are still like, why did that happen? <laughs> but uh, all of the civilian doctors, the Navy doesn't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, it was like this a weird other animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like this weird thing that like, it's like, what are you doing? Like your only job is customer service. And it's like, I don't think we spend enough time like downloading the importance of that into those types of people. Cause it's not just admin people, you know, there's like, it's like CSs, right? You see all the, the crate, like I'm willing to own a piece of this pie, like the <laughs> cook pun. There you go. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, like the meals you see for the people that are in like, uh, quarantine or whatever, getting ready to deploy. And then you see like the pictures of the meals that they get. And I've told people like more than one, like if I was the LCPO, that base galley, that food would like, I would be cradle to grave, like making sure that food quality was like top notch and they were getting everything they needed. And like, because of course it's going to end up on social media and you're all going to be put up, put on blast. And like, and then there was all these like, you know, like heroes that were like, like these CSCs out there, like crapping all over the people that did. And it was like, there were some pictures where it was very clear. They were talking about like the, the quantity of food. And it was like one of those three compartment trays where there was like vegetables and something else like pasta. And then the big thing was empty, but it was really clear that there used to be something there. And someone like either took it out or like ate it and then left it empty and then took the picture and I'm like, dude, either like the some dude got hungry or whatever, but like there used to be food in there. So it's like, is it on the the CS3 that loaded up 200 containers or is it on the people that because like what we do here is two crew submarines The off crew is responsible for like transporting the food to the people in quarantine or whatever. So it's like those dudes don't care if you get good food, like they're going to go home after this. And like, so it's like one of those, like it's cold, it's garbage, it's leftovers. It's all this other stuff. It's like, you no, know, like if I'm the CSC of that base galley, I'm going to make sure that cradle to grave, like I'm sending it out in like Cambros units. So the food is hot. My guys are transporting it. My, I'm making sure like one of my people is in charge of that. You know what I mean? So like when it shows up, 
you're getting the best of everything. Like I'm going to give you everything I possibly can and make the experience as pleasant as possible because your life already sucks because you're stuck in an NGIS room for like the kind of no reason effectively. And so you're just frustrated and you miss your family and you're not comfortable and you want to be home and you don't want to be eating this food, but you can't order out. So it's like, how can I make your life better? And well, so that's I, how I feel I bad for cooks. Cause y'all are, y'all are like yeoman where everybody's got <laughs> plenty of bad yep. experiences with those two rates. And then when yep. you get the one good one, you're like, what is this? Like, <laughs> yeah. And you can't, what's, really frustrating is a lot of junior CSs get really disillusioned with the Navy and the job because, and this is, I'm going to try to summarize this because I get on my soapbox about this a lot, but like <laughs> they're never properly trained. Like they don't get robust training on how to do their job when they come into the Navy. And then the instructors that are there supposed to, and they're supposed to teach them in, in an impossible timeline. They get 25 training days, which is a joke. Like you're not going to teach them anything meaningful except like how to wash their hands and wear a hat. But uh, they, so the instructors have never been properly trained unless they, in their own time, using like TA or GI Bill or whatever, gone to a culinary school like on shore duty or something. So that's the only way you're going to get really formally trained on how to do your job correctly. And then the whole thing, the way the entire Navy like navs up, this is surface submarines, everybody, the way the whole thing is constructed is it's constructed around the idea that we have like people with a low level of knowledge and capability based on a low level of training. So like the whole Navy standard core menu and the, catalog that we're restricted to and the armed forces recipe service and all the other crap it's all constructed around the the understanding that these cooks don't really know how to cook and we're not willing to invest the money into training that would be required because the shortest certificate program in the civilian world is culinary to america has a six-month certificate program and it's called the accelerated certificate program or something like that and, and this is, I did a research paper on this years ago, so my data might be a little off, but the, the normal certificate programs are a year and associate's degree is two years. You're going to get like entry level jobs off of those educational paths because this industry values experience so much because for as much as people like to talk about cooking being an art and baking being a science and all this other stupid taglines that they have. It's all a craft. Like it's all a trade. You need reps, lots and lots and lots of reps to be able to do this stuff well. And it's, you're never going to see that unless a miracle happens in my lifetime where the Navy's going to like invest because 90 days would be enough to build a solid foundation. And then you could have like follow on schools further down the pipeline. But um, it's it's something that people spend a lot of time going to school for and like years and years and years. Like you're not going to be a, a, a sous chef until you're like probably eight years in. You know, you're not going to be an executive chef until you're like 12 to 15 years in probably with like certifications and relevant work experience. And it's the type of industry where you got to like, you can't just work in a place. You have to like work in the right places. It's like when you see people advance in the military really quickly where they caught all the right jobs on top of performing really well at them and qualifying all the things and whatever else. It's like, 
it's kind of like that where you can't just go to school and get a degree and you have to also get an American Culinary Federation certification as an executive chef. And you also have to have a resume that supports you doing what they think you, you, know, you have to have the relevant experience to be able to do the job. And so it's like, it's something that the Navy just doesn't care enough about to like put any money into training them to do their job correctly. So it's, and then we put our, our, <laughs> our, uh, unqualified people out there to do the job. And then they get judged three or four times a day based on the product that they put out. And the blame is put on the leadership of those say the immediate leadership of those sailors and the training pipeline. And it's like, I can't control that. I only have 25 training days and I can't control that the leadership in charge of those people are also not properly trained. The only thing I can control is what I do with myself, which for me, it was like on my first boat, I bought a library of culinary books and just experimented because like i had a chief that was like willing to let me do well, I was a first class back then, but those willing to let me do it. And then I, as soon as I got to my first shore duty, I went to culinary school, but that's like not, all, not everybody wants to do that. And it shouldn't be on them. Like, it's like telling you that like, Hey, you're going to be a nuke electrician in the Navy, but I need you to figure out the nuke electrician part on your own. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's you, insane. You need to go take <laughs> electrical theory classes on your own. Yeah. That's insane. And it's, but no one, and then I could go on and I'm going to stop here because this is what happens every time I talk about this. <laughs> and I know there's like people like zoning out right now is um, if I fixed this the way it needs to be fixed, it wouldn't just improve like what you immediately see as a customer on a ship that's at sea. It would improve like the things that um, 1120s are table topping at like a war games thing like it would improve our ability as a force any as a as a navy to like affect the mission like it would improve ships endurance it would improve like flexibility and replenishment like you could go anywhere and just send me pallets of food and i would have the ability to just figure it out Instead, what we're trying to do is standardize this like master load list at all the places we could possibly get food so that the untrained people that are doing the job have recognizable parts to plug into this like <laughs> paint by number thing we've created for cooking. And it's like it's insane. It doesn't make any sense. It's like if you want like for for instance, submarines, if you want us to have increased endurance, you teach the people skills so that no matter what food you send down the hatch, whenever we do a personal transfer, or we tie up to a pier. I can just make food out of it. And the endurance of the submarine doesn't change at all. You know what I mean? Instead of having to try to like force all this crap into like all these different ports and like, well, Oh God, well this master load list locations only at 83% compliance. So what happens when I put a food order in and they don't have what I need? to plug into this stupid like building blocks thing. They, it's like, if you don't have what I need to make this stupid menu item that you're forcing me to make, and I don't have the skill level to improvise, that's just dumb. That's just poor planning. And it affects a ship's endurance. It affects the crew's morale and the crew's willingness to like affect the mission and blah, blah, blah. You know, like it, it not nothing makes sense in my entire career field. 
<sighs> yeah, so uh, the the last point I want to make about like poor leadership experiences, I guess, was the the engineer at my last command. Um, I mean, it kind of goes back into one of the first points I made, being the first seventy two hours kind of idea, like your first impressions with somebody in a a leadership role. Yeah. But um, so when I first showed up to my last command, the engineer that was there was on his way out to go to his next command. So I think I had about a month of interaction with him, but outside of just like a check-in interview, I, th- yeah. I think that was really the only time I talked to him. Um, so this engineer that showed up that was there for the rest of my time, my first impression with him was when he came into the uh, eat of space on the barge, like our little office and kind of just like came in there and, like sat down, like made himself at home, which is fine, but it's just, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So he came in and was basically just like, Hey, you know, I'm the new end here. I just want to get to know everybody. So let's just go around the room and tell me your previous command and your highest qualification. And so we're going around the room and everybody's saying like, I'm so-and-so from this boat or this ship, like whatever. And we had a couple of guys saying like, oh, I was qualified watch suit or I was qualified SRO. And anytime anybody said that, he would just come back with, I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And you get to the next guy like, yeah, I'm so-and-so. I was qualified SRO. I don't know what that is. Okay. And then I finally get to one guy and he's like, um, so-and-so and I was qualified to engineering watch supervisor. And then this engine was like, oh, engineering watch supervisor. That must be what you guys meant. And then you guys probably were talking about shutdown reactor operator. Not SRO. Uh, just being a dick about formal yeah. comms or something. <laughs> formal comms in a face-to-face conversation in our office uh, on a barge. Like, oh my it's, god! And it just—it's it's like just really home, Like, how can I, how can I alienate everyone on my first day? Hmm. Here's yeah. an idea. Like, like I'm saying, <laughs> it's his first like really face-to-face interaction with all of Ediv, and so that put a real yeah. bad taste in my mouth. Um, <laughs> the next interaction that I can really think of shortly after uh, one of the electricians was going to him for a PVO interview. So you can be qualified to, you know, operate valves in the end room basically. And this guy's like, he's a really good dude. Like I'm still friends with him and everything, but he's just like gets kind of nervous, I guess when he's around people with rank. Um, mm. So he's doing the interview and He's like visibly nervous. So the end was like, hey, like, why do you seem so nervous? Do you think I'm going to yell at you or something? He's like, no, this is just how I am. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but not really much I can do about it. And so the end yeah. says, OK. And I mean, these aren't their first names, but he was like, all right, well, my first name's Mark. Like, what's your first name? And the guy was like, oh, my first name's, you know, Tim. OK, well, there's nothing to worry about here. It's just Mark and Tim hanging out, talking about PVO. Yeah. And that's just that gets back to my point about being like the cool stepdad. Where it's like your first yeah. impression was like formal comms when you're just right and now hanging out. Yeah. And then your second interaction, like big interaction with Ediv is like, oh, just first name basis. Like, what's up, dude? Like, right. Which is kind of weird. That's is weird. Yeah. And that's uh, not necessarily like bad interactions, but it's just like you have to hold some sort of consistency. When you're interacting with people, uh, yeah. especially when you first I, I mean, show up somewhere, like 
I would say they're both bad, but the second one's only bad because of the first one. Like you can't do both. Like it's, yeah. I, I understand what he was trying to accomplish there of like, you know, like in that moment, the, he thought the appropriate move was to disarm him and make him feel at ease, which I don't disagree with, but you can't do that yeah. after your first interaction was yeah. that, <laughs> Yeah, formal comms even when we're sitting in an office in a barge or whatever like you can't do that dude it does like because now they're freaked out because they think if they don't like give you a proper repeat back when we're next to the soda machine you're gonna be mad you know like you can't yeah, yeah. and my biggest gripe of an interaction i had with him was uh when i first got qualified tags at this command um it was a, a different platform than my first boat. And mm. so I like qualified BQ and everything. I qualified tags. And this was probably the second or third tag I'd hung. And it was uh, on a system that I had no prior experience with before being here. And then on top yeah. of that, one of the, or three of the tags uh, on the line item were up on the pier and they were shipyard interfacing systems. And right. so... When I got issued the tags, I, I made it clear when I got issued the tags. I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm new to tags, so this might take a while. Also, I don't know what this system is up on the pier. So, like, do I need any special key or anything to get to it? Because I know sometimes for EDIV, like our shore power and stuff, Shipyard likes to lock up our main shore power breakers, I guess, to make sure nobody just walks by and shuts off shore power. Because there's right. like psychopaths in the shipyard or something. <laughs> but, um, so I asked the the guy issuing me the tags, like, do I need a key to get to these? And he said, no, you should be fine. And I was like, okay. And I, I went up there and um, hanging the tags. And I forget what exactly the nomenclature thing was, but it was basically like circuit X1, X2, X3 are being tagged and off. And I'm looking at this like, um, box basically topside that all of our shore power cables are going through and I'm looking all around the outside and then on one side there's a door that has a lock on it and I was like well he said I didn't need a key so like I probably shouldn't be opening this box anyways because there's probably like live cables in there but then there was circuit one two and three on the outside with little rotary switches to turn those circuits on and off so the tag said circuit X1, X2, X3. The thing I'm looking at says one, two, and three. So yeah. the valid point I will give out of the following critique was that the nomenclature didn't match exactly and I didn't bring it up. But I've yeah. been in shipyard for you know plenty of time and I know shipyard labels don't always exactly match. And in my previous experience, if it's close enough to like not have a doubt about it being the same component, it's fine. And I'm pretty sure something in yeah. the tag manual says that. But I think people also argue it only applies to mechanical systems. Okay. But, I mean, I, I will say this is my fault, but I, I turned yeah. those three circuits off and I hung the tag on the switches. It got second checked and then um, found out later that night, we were on shift work at the time, 12-hour shifts. So the, the back shift found out that the tags were hung improperly. And so the next day we went to a critique about it and that end was at the critique and 
I like fully admitted my mistake. I said it was all on me. And then the second checker said he definitely should have called it as well because he was senior to me. I thought yeah. it was going to be pretty cut and dry. But then this Eng asked me if I thought that rotary switches would actually be able to isolate a shore power cable. And the way he asked it was basically like with all of my prior uh, BEQ, which is like basic engineering qualification. Right. With all my prior BEQ knowledge, do I really think rotary switches can isolate shore power? Which I like, I would have to like kind of dive deep into like edif size stuff, but I have seen that before. Every edif has seen that before on the shore power bunker topside, <laughs> and so I told him yes. And then he was like, "So, so you're telling me with all of your BEQ knowledge about rotary switches and shore power bunkers, you thought you were hanging the tag on the right component?" And I was like, "Well, one, that's not the issue, and two, there's nothing on the BEQ card that involves shore power breakers topside or especially shipyard bunkers." And that like. It, it like shut him down. It shut down his argument, but not in a good way. It's like usually, you yeah. know, when you get some E5 mouthing off to the end, you're like, hey, so you're actually not right. And then they just get real mad. But yeah, so end up getting lit up a little bit about that. But this is also, again, the the last two points to me about him. This is coming from the same guy who would walk around the boat asking about systems and he would start every question with part of my BQ knowledge, but blah, blah, blah. Which like at first was okay because it's like, oh, this guy's new here. He doesn't really know how stuff works yet. But he was there right. for like almost a year before I left that command. And he was still going up to MDiv and being like, part of my BQ knowledge, but how does the feed system work? I'm like, all right, dude, you're, you're the end. You should probably know that by now. Like, yeah, it's just, which again, those aren't like glaringly bad leadership problems, but it's, it's the consistency thing. That really, really just makes people lose any kind of validation in your rank. Well, I would say that it that there are a lot of issues there. Like it, we went through a lot, but it's like this even the the stuff where like he seemed like he communicated in whatever way was convenient for him, which I mean, in and of itself is a problem because when you're communicating, it really matters. Like if the person's receiving you, so like the method in which you're communicating should be what's best for your audience, not what's best for you. Obviously you need to be able to understand a response and feedback and all that stuff. But like the, I was thinking about like immediately just because it's the most recent piece was the conversation at the critique, like what value is added by like asking that question in that way. Cause like one troubling thing for me with critiques in general is like every single time I go in there, it always just feels like an inquisition, man. Like it's never you walk. Cause they, somebody will always say some arbitrary line about how we're just here to get answers and be better or something. It's not it a turns witch hunt. into this. Yeah. It's not a witch yeah. hunt, even though it's a witch hunt. Cause then it's like, well, they'll say that and it turns into a witch hunt. It turns into like, okay, whose fault is this? Like, and then like, how many people can we blame that aren't leadership? You know, like how many, how many like junior people's lives can we make suck after this with the corrective actions? Because it's, that's what always, what it, it degenerates into is like, you know, you do the, like whatever it is, like the root causes and the problems and the whatever corrective actions. And it's always, 
you know, Seaman Timmy didn't hang the tag correctly because he's an idiot. And it's like, okay, well, whose responsibility is it to train them and educate them and qualify them? And how, like, how is our qual process? Like, are we doing a good job there? Are we doing a good job with like second checkers? Are we doing a good job with everything? Like there's all these, all this P these parts that are leadership's like fault. It's like they're, they own that. And they don't take ownership of it. It's all, every critique I've ever been a part of. It's always the junior guys suck. We're here to tell them they suck. And then layer administrative corrective processes on top of their already painful existence with work controls because that's going to prevent another work controls issue. It's like, no, it's not. It's going to cause one. It's just going to cause it to be even more painful so that next time they're going to go into it and be like care even less because it doesn't matter. Even the ones where I've seen second checkers catch the issue and then they still administer it like administratively burden everyone on the submarine because, oh my God, we almost had a work controls issue or they treat the second checker doing his job correctly as a work controls issue because it wasn't perfect and the first guy did it wrong. And because it's just the, like... Because mm-hmm. the tag system works, so obviously there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> obviously there's a problem because it worked properly and we're like, What? And so it's just every critique, every single one I've ever been to, I've never felt like anything productive came out of it. And all you're doing is like kicking people while they're down and shirking all responsibility as leadership. It's like you, it's just a blame game. And it, and OK, now we got to like make people's lives hurt so that we can administratively close the loop on this. So that if anybody asks, it's like, no, we critiqued it and we told him he was a piece of crap and we gave him an upgrade or whatever they did, you know, like we made every chief be physically present when their divisions hanging tags. Like I've seen that one. It's super fun. Um, yeah. Or the duty we, chief we has to second vote. check them or yeah, third duty check them. There. Disgusting. I'm like, really? You want me to like third check a tag? Like, it's not like I can't do an administrative check, but I'm just like, you want me distracted from all of my other responsibilities on the entire submarine third checking every single tag like are you insane well that also that's makes what, like, the tag they, process harder because if you're yeah second checking a tag you have to wait until the duty chief is available so you're exactly like, again for edith you're waiting to blow dust out of a control panel but you're sitting there for an hour <laughs> waiting for the duty chief to yep. be done with whatever he's doing and you're like hey yep. man, i'm gonna hang this one tag and like 10 minutes after we hang the tag we're gonna be done with the maintenance and i'm gonna have to wait for you again like yeah and then even when uh, so like they would do that and they also like I, I on my last submarine when I was saying duty chief, they would tell us the duty chief had to be at every brief and that's uh, OK. Actually, you got to be at every brief, which sounds like it might be doable until you realize that they made us brief everything like we had to brief every single thing with the duty chief and duty officer present. So it's like I have to be at every brief. And then they made me go to nuke briefs. I'm like, what's the engineering duty petty officer doing? Like, yeah, why do I have to be there? That's what I, I was going like, to ask is if, if it was even like <laughs> stuff going on back aft, like the duty chief doesn't yeah. care. There's hardly any stuff that we have I mean, through the entire boat. Yeah, <laughs> I care generally. But yeah, it's like usually if it affects the entire submarine or indications of the BCP or whatever. But then also what they got into too was which they thought was a solution was, oh, well, we'll have the production duty chief and the production duty officer to speed up tags. And I'm like, so you're going to add duty 
time, basically. Like you're going to add a duty day for a whole bunch of these supervisors so that they can support this onerous, largely pointless process that you've layered on top of the existing process that somebody I got to think or like a large group of people I got to think are smarter than us on work controls issues and have probably like used analytics and lessons learned and all kinds of other stuff to inform their revisions of the, the tum. It's like, you're going to tell me that like we're somehow smarter and our, our extra administrative processes are helping. And then, Oh, we're going to give people another duty day on top of their already existing duty rotation so that they can support this stupid process you put in place. And that's a solution. Like, Hey, how about we just do it the way it's designed and do a great job of like training and qualifying people. (laughs) And then then, then the big thing is like when the tag system works, like, don't pat them on the back from tags because i've yeah i've yeah. seen that plenty of times where it's like the second checker goes to second check a tag and they're like oh hey the first checker didn't sign this or it's not in the right yeah. position like whatever it is and they bring it up and then the first yep. and second checker get removed from tags it's like hey you did your yeah, job I'm, you're removed from it like i'm not gonna lie to you there's been half a dozen duty days um and they were all my last boat because i had a lot more uh I had a lot more confidence in my ability to like withstand the blowback if it came, but I'd be the duty chief. A second checker would come tell me that they caught this. I'd brief the duty officer and he would look at me or she would look at me and be like, do we need to call anyone? And I'm like, nope. I'm like, the process worked. I patted him on his back. We'll brief it at duty section turnover. The end. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, if anybody tells you you were wrong for not briefing this, you tell them I told you not to. And I just yeah. went to duty section turnover the next day and we brief I, I would brief exactly what happened and that the process worked. Good job. Keep doing what you're doing. Like the second checker was paying attention to detail, caught the issue, brought it up. The process worked. Well done. And then and I never got questioned on it, like it, which I thought was shocking, like because I thought for sure at least like the eng or somebody was going to freak out about it if not our co and like it, i don't know if they ever got wind of it happening but like i was like no we don't got to call anybody the process worked we're fine it's not a, in, in accordance with the book it's not a tag out violation so it's like we're good like it's fine yeah. process worked everybody did a great job we'll spend some time like because i always would like kind of remediate that first guy a little bit like just have a talk with him and be like hey were you distracted what happened like and if there was confusion like go find an expert to like clear up the confusion with them but the second tracker caught it process worked like the end and uh somehow yeah. i never got yelled at for it turns anyway. out there's no uh um, there's no part of the tag out user manual that says while you're second checking a tag the first checker didn't sign it there's actions for like damage tags or like tags on wrong components, but like you're literally there to verify the first checker. Right. And doesn't, but doesn't it, doesn't it, um, delineate like what a, a work controls violation is in the book too. So like, yeah, there's like a specific part about what a tag out violation is, or at least I thought that section didn't qualify. Like I thought that the second checker catching it was just like that was not a tag out violation, but they yeah, always that's, like that's to part of the system. Way. It's the same as, yeah. you know, if you're writing a tag, if you're creating the line item, you're supposed to have two independent people making the line item. So then if you find out yeah. that those two people were working together, that's a problem because it's specifically yeah. laid out. But then the rest of it is just like you should first check and sign it. And then the second checker should verify it and sign it like, yeah. 
<laughs> That's yeah. It's yeah. Self-inflicted wounds. Um, a lot of the yeah, pain then, uh, we yeah. were in the submarine force. Yeah. Then coming out of that critique, uh, we were talking about the way the command handled it. So the the chief I had at that command was actually like, this is actually going to get into the points I had about good interactions with chiefs, but uh, he was a really solid chief. And when we uh, came out of that critique, he actually pulled me off to the side and basically like apologized to me, yeah. which I thought was kind of weird. But afterwards I, I, I got it, but he basically like apologized for not teaching me how the shipyard systems work here because he knew I was up in the New Hampshire shipyard on my first yeah. command and now I'm, you know, in Virginia. So he said like, you know, it's, it's my fault for not showing you how these bunkers work because the guys who have been here longer when we got these bunkers got training on it. But when you showed up, I just kind of heard yeah. you were in shipyard. So I figured you knew it. Yeah. And, um, and then afterwards Good. he like walked me out there and showed me, you know, this is how you get to these circuits. And turns out yeah. you do need a key. You're supposed to go in that locked part, but right. Good for him. That's exactly what should ha- That's ownership. Yeah. It's not bad. It's like, it's not like he is the guy that didn't provide training to his entire division. Like he did that. He heard you were in the shipyard. He mentally checked the box. Oops. I'm human. I make mistakes too. Let me fix it and take ownership of it. And what always melts my brain is that a lot of leaders view that as negative. Like they're going to lose credibility with you for admitting that they were wrong about something and then taking ownership of it. And the exact opposite thing happens where yeah. like you just gain trust and credibility with your people when you're willing to admit you were wrong and then you're like willing to take ownership of that and the, whatever you need to do to correct it. Yeah. And uh, that chief also, when I first showed up to that command, um, my wife was pregnant when I showed up there and it was like a month after I got there, she started having some like complications with the pregnancy where you're basically just like in and out of the hospital, you know, every other day it seemed like, but once it uh, became like a regular thing where there was like two weeks in a row where every other day I was like, Hey, I gotta leave early or I would message him at, you know, two in the morning and say, like, we've been in the hospital since 6 p.m. I'm I'm probably not going to make it to work in the morning. And he would message me back and say, don't worry about it. Take care of your family. And so once it got to the point where it was like, we're probably dealing with a serious issue. He took me off the watch bill uh, for duty and basically just made it so I wasn't really part of the command. And there was probably a month and a half where I was coming into work like two days a week, basically just to say like, I'm alive. And then I would leave at like nine or 10 to go make sure my wife was doing okay. But that was, especially coming from my first boat, that was just not centered around people problems. Like showing up there being super new. And then this guy telling me like, Hey, go take care of your family. That's way more important than anything here. I was just like, yo, what is going on? Like, yeah. (laughs) What is this? Like, (laughs) Like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like you're like, this is a trap, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was waiting for like a call from the EDMC being like, I don't care what your chief said, but yeah, yeah, I had that time uh, off and then uh, ended up having the baby. That's you know he's happy and healthy now. Had him a little bit early, but even once the yeah. baby was born, I still got my full paternity leave. Like after that, nice. even though I'd had like a month and a half off. Because yeah, I was gonna say same thing. Held you just that said, against like, you probably. <laughs> Yeah, but it was the same thing. He said, like, you know, go take care of your family. And then the baby was born. And he was like, all right, well, take your paternity leave now. Like, that's something that you're 
basically like entitled to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if anything, that would have just been like emergency leave. Like you would have been on emergency leave to take care of your wife. So it's just like, if I have the flexibility to just be like, okay, well you're not going to be here today. Why not? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. I'm t- I take it. That was the positive story you were talking about earlier. Yeah. No, that was that's the big co- positive out of that. Chief. That's, yeah, that's gigantic. Like that's not, especially, not a like lot I said, of chiefs think that. Yeah, like way. I said, being new there, like that really set the tone for yeah. for him. Yeah, and not a lot of chiefs think. I said not not a lot of chiefs think that way. I think not a lot of chiefs think that they can accomplish that. And I, what I mean by that is like that the chain of command won't support it, or that it's like outside the rules so far that they can't get away with it, or whatever. Where it's like a lot of it is like I control liberty. And it's like all I have, the only time I need outside permission for liberty is when like something, I mean, that somebody might explicitly delineate like, okay, you have to, people have to check out with me at a higher level or like you can't go grow greater than 48 hours, but it's like special lib. It's like you need like, I think 72 hours requires greater than 72 hours, I think requires CO's permission type of thing. So there's like, you got a lot of flexibility there. And it's like, if I then brief what I know to be my reasonable chain of command, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go to EDMC and Cobb and just be like, Hey, look, this guy has got a lot going on. He's going to come in when he can. I'll make sure I muster him at worst via phone at best. He'll come in for a couple hours and see what's going on. And we'll bring him kind of up to speed on what we need to like, get your, you know, verify your NFAS or what, like whatever, but I, I will keep tabs on this guy. I will make sure that everything he you know needs is taken care of, but he's not going to be at work a lot. Uh, and that's how I intend to handle it. And then a lot of that is, it's as simple as the Cobb brief and the captain, you like, you probably yep. won't even be there. And it's the Cobb or CMC goes in briefs, the captain, the captain's like, Roger that Cobb, like manage your people. And that's it. That's the end of it. You know, like nothing else needs to happen. And it's like, that's, a thing that you can do it's just people decide on their own that like they can't accomplish that because their chain of command won't support it and maybe that's true like maybe you've got a crazy chain of command that wouldn't approve it that way but there's also other mechanisms like can put you on emergency leave you can do all kinds of stuff and it's just like there's ways around it like because you all you got to do is like create a policy as long as the chain of command is aware of it and approves it like this guy's going to phone muster or come in one day a week because until this issue resolves itself. And we, here's our plan to support that on the watch bill and everything else. And it's like, it's usually going to be as simple as that chief presenting a plan and saying, this is what I intend to do. I can support it via these mechanisms. Everything's going to be fine. And yeah. most of the time, not like I say 90 plus percent of the time, the chain of commands is just going to be like, okay. And like sometimes there's going to be some questions and maybe a little pushback just to make sure everything was thought of and we're following, you know, we're coloring inside the lines and stuff. But um, the vast majority of the time you're going to be able to like manage that yourself, which is like you said, for you, it's like gigantic. And it's not like that doesn't have an impact on everyone else knowing that that chief took care of you in that way. Like you were saying that that was, Again, just set the tone for all my interactions with that guy. Like even, yeah. even when I had that, uh, you know, tag violation that came up with that whole critique we were just talking about, I wasn't worried. I guess, I w- yeah, I wasn't worried about going to my chief and being like, 
hey, when I, when I yeah. showed up for turnover this morning, they told me I messed up a tag last night. And then, I mean, that's what happened. Then he said, like, yeah, I already heard about it. There's going to be a critique later. And then before the critique, yeah. um, like I say, he pulled me aside after. But even before the critique, he kind of talked to me. and was like, just don't you know lose your cool in there. You know, you messed up. And, and so I went to the critique right. and I was just like, yeah, I messed up. Like, it was, it was my fault. But then it did turn into the witch hunt thing we were talking about. But whatever. But. Right. But then he managed it after the fact, too. And it's like I that's all of those are indications of like that leader, that chief actually caring about his people. Like it's just like the when I talk about it a lot, but like to show indicators, I feel like has value is like I say all the time, like you need to be authentic and and communicate to your people that they can trust you and that you genuinely care about them. And authenticity is really important in that to be able to like show them and make them really feel like they can trust you instead of just saying you can trust me or trying to demonstrate it in like really, I don't know, like straightforward like academic type ways or something like it's probably not the best way of saying that, but like the, the you being able to feel like you can trust your chief, like by virtue of him doing those things, like him, he didn't have to prep you before you went in there. He didn't have to say anything to you after you came out, except make sure you get your upgrade done or whatever. And he definitely didn't need to walk you up to the thing and conduct the training that he did and show you and then like take the ownership of the fact that he failed and should have done a better job. Like all of those things are indicators, like strong indicators that he genuinely cares about his people. And that's what they that's what chiefs should be doing. Like all of them should be doing things like that. Like, I mean, even after a captain's mass, it's like now you got to put the pieces back together. Accountability's happened. We're past it now. You know, maybe there's a couple of like out to maybe you have extra duty or whatever, like restrictions, stuff like that. But it's like after mast ends, it's like the rebuilding process begins. And it's like you want to start like rehabilitating like and I don't mean like changing the behavior that happened at mass so much as because like a lot of times it's just an innocent mistake or a one a poor choice influenced by immaturity or alcohol or both or whatever, you know, but then like once you're done and you're on the other side of it, you, yeah, you put them back together again. You talk to them about what happened, the lessons learned, how you're going to get better from it. Like letting them know that you're there for them and that you, you like, you want them to do well now and that they still can compete for all the things. And like, you can come back from this and providing evidence and all that. It's like, that those types of things, it's like you don't you can get away with not doing that. And a lot of people do. But the good ones that really care about their people do what your chief did. And that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um then the other I mean I I have like a handful of strong leadership moments, but the other strongest one for me, especially being a nuke, was on my first boat. Before we left ship, you already have to do uh, pours. So you, yeah. you have like pours <laughs> underway normally, but pours yeah. is like peer side or pre operational, whatever the P stands for. Yeah. Um, but we were doing our pours, and the day we were doing the level of knowledge interviews, all the nukes had to just kind of hang out in the boat until I think it was like 22 or Ugh, something gross. like that. We finally ended up leaving. Yeah. So we're just like hanging out in the torpedo room, just standing by to get called in to do our little like knowledge check. Yeah. And my interview was in chief's quarters. Some waiting to get called in for the next interview. And our cop at the time who had just showed up 
like a week mm-hmm. beforehand is our new cob yeah. walks out of chief's quarters and our edmc is standing there making sure you know everything's going smoothly so our cob walks by and edmc looks at him and basically asks him like why are you still here it's it's really late and our cob told him i feel bad because the nukes are still here so why should i be going home and yeah. I, I almost fainted like hearing that from a cob <laughs> as a nuke like <laughs> yeah that's that was, that's big, that guy, man. Like he he probably been probably would have been a super strong cob, but he didn't last very long due to uh check in your analysis reasons. But you know, that, that's that's fine. <laughs> Yikes. That sucks. I mean yeah, that it, that aside, um it's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that I had a supply officer that she it was um, last boat I had female officers, so she was a prior like she did a I think she was on a destroyer and then showed up to us as a JG and started, you know, working on her fish and then put on full lieutenant while she was there and um but she was like that where like I couldn't I would tell her like I'm staying, you go home. And she just would not leave the submarine if we were working still. Like, she's just like, she, I couldn't, no matter what, I would try so hard. I'm like, ma'am, I got it. Go home. And she just refused. She's like, nope. She's like, I'm just going to sit here and stare at you. She's like, if you're here, I'm here. And I'm like, God, Lord. And it was, but it was like one of the reasons why everybody loved her so much. And then um, it was kind of like that with like me and there was a couple other chiefs that were like that too on that but we had a pretty strong chiefs quarters on that boat but like yeah it was it's one of those things where it's like if i'm if i'm telling my guys to stay i'm gonna i'm not leaving until it's done you know like even during stores loads like once all the food was on board and the crane shut down i could have left and just told them to keep stowing food until whatever but like that's insane to me like that doesn't even it doesn't even make sense because one, the leadership thing, the image of it that I'm there and I'm supporting them and I'm in it with them. But also I have two hands, two feet and a back that I can put into this and like I can stow food and it gets my guys out of there faster. So like when we're doing a stores load, like I don't care. I was a senior chief, like not that far removed from making master chief. And I'm like, I blouse off like humping food down and moving TDU weights and doing all this crap to get the stuff stowed quicker. Like on oh, my hands and knees sweeping the deck if I have to. And that's, I'm not like saying that to like make myself look good or anything. It's just, a, it's just like you do the math and it's like, I can reduce the amount of time they're on the submarine by, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 minutes. If I, if I, like, if I'm like working all day with them because that's the most important place for me to be. And like, yeah, like sometimes I have to go to a couple meetings, but like the majority of the time I'm there with them. Like, yeah, I'm directing traffic, getting all the food down. But once it's all down, we're just stowing like madmen, and I'm like telling them what to do, but I'm also like ripping cases of food open or like shoving, passing stuff. Like I'm a, just a person that's in line passing stuff into the storm or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, that kind of stuff. That's meaningful, even if it's just symbolic yeah. like that. Like, cause Cobb's yeah, even not just like, the showing face sort of thing. Yeah, he's not making any like real impact on or Porsche going better or like faster or necessarily even making quality of life better besides that impact that that made on you of him just saying, like, you're here, I'm here, man. Like, I'll be, I'm here until this is over. And that's, yeah. that's a big deal. That's, I think that means a lot more 
to a lot of people than than even he probably thought. Like that makes a huge impact on people. Yeah, and then I I kind of want to just like sum up all of this with like the the day to day interactions I have with chiefs are not bad at all. Yeah, like you catch people on a bad day or when they're stressed out, and I mean you can you can usually tell when it's yeah. like a you know bad morning for somebody, but the the general day to day interactions are not bad. But it's also the point of like the really bad experiences, the one or two just stick with people for a long time. And then I think you've made the points in previous episodes of mostly people, you know, like JO's becoming division officers or, you know, eventually down the line becoming Mm -hmm. a captain. If they get burned by chief's quarters when they're the captain of a boat, eventually like they remember that and they have that preset feeling about chiefs. Like, yeah, it leaves a mark and it's it's one of those things that um, a lot of chiefs, it takes some time to recognize the impact that you're having by virtue of you wearing anchors because it's like the a lot of people still think of themselves as individuals and there's not really like, like when a first class does something negative, it's not ref- really reflecting on other first classes. But when a chief does something negative, it 100% leaves a mark on everyone. Like not even like outside the skin of the submarine, some surface chief in Japan, their job just got harder because you had a negative interaction with the sailor who then, you know, goes on to interact with that chief later in their career. It's like everybody takes a hit a hit when one of these chiefs does something stupid and i don't even mean like the stuff that's on the cover of the navy times even though that does damage too obviously um yeah it's the day-to-day stuff the stuff you described like it's that kind that kind of stuff negatively impacts everybody doing this job and i don't think enough chiefs take the time to to recognize and and really build that into their calculus like you gotta recognize that you need to be a good steward of this thing because we've constructed it in a way where yes it like collectively we're stronger but like it's really easy to make us weaker too by just by your behavior by your thinking you're above it by you thinking that like the rules don't apply to you by you even just having a human moment which is kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier. It's like these people are human beings. Like they're going to make mistakes. It's, it's impossible not to, but the, the way that you get around that, the way that we don't take such a giant hit is when chiefs do what your chief did in that moment with the, the tag out violation is like take ownership of the fact that I could have done a better job training you. I could have made sure you were better prepared for this. And had I done that, it could have avoided this entire thing and likely would have. And that's my piece in it. Like, yes, you made the bad decision because of the nomenclature. Got it. Like, but also you would have never been in this situation in the first place if I had done a better job. And that's my piece of it is I should have done a better job. And I would even say that it's appropriate to do that in the event that like, it's abstract, like where he could he could point at 
I should have done a better job training you because then you would have known you needed to unlock that box and f- you would have found the correct na- nomenclature on those those label plates and been like, okay, this is a, exactly where I need to hang these tags. But even when it's like something abstract, like there was a failure and it's it'd be super easy for me to just say that this guy just screwed up. It's like there's always, whether or not it's like, I've got like a, a two thirds like ownership stake in this, or I've got like a like a one thirty seconds, like whatever, like wherever it scales, I still have an ownership piece in. I could have done a better job of training you, educating you, supervising you, mentoring you, whatever. I could have been in a different place at that time, and maybe my oversight would have caught the mistake. I could have put a more qualified person there with you to make sure, and they would have caught it or advised you otherwise or whatever. There's always a piece where I could have been better. And that it kind of like you mentioned where with the nuclear culture where they're always like nitpicking it, like you can never do anything right. It's it's kind of the same thing, but in a more productive way where it's like, I look at it like it's my job to lead you and to it's my responsibility to like train, educate, qualify, oversee all those things to make sure you're ready to do the job. I mean, perfectly is probably the wrong word, but like that's the goal is that there's like just a flawless process that unfolds because we were so prepared and we did such a good job training and planning and all the things. And it's like when those mistakes happen, it's I take ownership I just, you have to, I take ownership of the fact that there's a role played by me in this process. I'm ultimately responsible for the fact that you didn't do that thing correctly. Is, do you have an ownership stake in it? Yeah, sure you do. Of course you do. You were the one that was there that read the, the label plate wrong and that like probably could have asked a question outside of that though. There's all this other stuff that could have happened far better. Like even just recognition that it was your first time hanging tags on shore power in that place at that, like in this shipyard, like, okay, yeah, you've been in shipyard before, but you've never been in this shipyard. So maybe send somebody up there that's done it before with you for the first time. That's not unreasonable. Yeah. And I maybe I should have thought of that and, and I could have done better there. And that's my piece. And that's the ownership that you have to take, even if it gets abstract, where it seems like it's pretty cut and dry that your sailor just did something wrong. It's like, no, like I there's ownership there for you to take as the leadership all the way up to the captain. Like a lot of times you'll see good COs and that you read the chart, the charge of command, or I think that's what it's called. But like the burden of command document that a lot of them have hanging in their staterooms and stuff. It's like you're responsible even if you're asleep. Like you're responsible no matter what, and you're going to be held accountable even when it feels unfair because that's a burden of command. And it's like, it's the same thing. It's like the burden of being the chief in that circumstance is like, like some of that ownership falls on you no matter what. Like I'm a little like extreme about it. I'm a kind of a zealot in a lot of ways where it's like, it's my fault no matter what. Like, it's all my fault, in my opinion. And it's like, that's probably unfair, but I look at it that way. I'm like, I failed you. Like, that's what happened. Like, there was a leadership failure here. This wasn't a you failure. Like, also, you made a mistake and we're going to work on that. But you made a mistake because I failed. And I take, like, complete ownership of it because I'm just a masochist. I don't know. Um, but I think well, it's I think, really I think it's also the... The point you brought up about my first chief saying that you're afraid of you know, basically getting um, 
negative feedback from the chief's quarters or somebody higher about yeah. stuff you're doing or allowing. Like a lot of people are just afraid that, you know, if, if they admit yeah. the mistake on their part, it's going to affect them more negatively than it should. Yeah. If at all. Yeah. And that's maybe that's why it's easier for me to be the way that I am is because I never really cared. Like I was pretty convinced I was going to retire as a chief because I got a big mouth and I was very willing to tell people that I either thought they were wrong or I thought the thing that was happening was wrong. And if something happened, I was, I would own it. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I screwed up. I'm an idiot. That's, that's mine. Um, and so I just, I guess I kind of thought because I wasn't willing to play the game or whatever I thought it was at the time that I was just never going to make a past chief. Um, and then it turned out that like a lot of people recognized me as an anomaly in a good way. And I was confused by that because I'm like, well, then why isn't the organization structured to align more with the things you recognize in me that you think are good? Because it doesn't. And it's confusing to me and has been confusing to me the whole time. And I'm like, so I don't, I guess I don't quite get why we don't like encourage that more and reward that more. Cause if we, if we really believed in it, a critique wouldn't be structured that way. A critique would be like, um, I don't know if you ever, I'm a big Jocko Willink fan, extreme ownership is one of my favorite books, which also is probably one of the reasons why I am the way that I am. But um, that he, there's a, he did like a Ted talk or something where he kind of explains the, the reason why he came to this extreme ownership mentality and like, kind of like, it was kind of like the watershed moment for him as a leader where he like learned these things. And it was like, uh, he had, they had a friendly fire incident where like they almost killed, like basically he was in, in charge of like this task force in Iraq and, um, one group of friendlies went to this building where it like turned out his people were in the building as well. And they were shooting at each other. And I think it, some Iraqi uh, army folks at least got shot. If not got killed, I think they, there was just wounded though. Um, but like he could have killed more and could have killed seals, could have killed other Americans. Cause there's like army there and stuff. And so it was a, it's a huge deal. It's like a ship collision for us, you know, like it's a, it's a yeah. pretty, like, holy crap, everybody's about to get fired. So he tells a story about like he prepared this, he was preparing this big brief and kind of like basically do self critiquing in preparation for the brief because like the Commodore and the CMC were flying out um, and pre to presumably fire him. And he was trying to figure out whose fault it was. And he prepared this big PowerPoint slide where he like laid blame at the feet of all these other people. And then he sat there and thought about it. And he's like, I felt really disgusting about what I had just done, like what I prepared. And then he like basically threw it out the window. And then the next morning when he did the brief, he just walked in there and said, this happened because I failed. I failed as a leader. Like, and he like laid it all out there, but he took complete ownership of it. And he was just like, it's not anyone else's fault, but mine. And I'll accept whatever like punishment comes my way, blah, blah, blah. And then what he found was like all the other operators in the room, like started like standing up and saying, well, I, this part failed because of me. I should have done a better job here and I should have done. And it, you know what I mean? And like, it turned into like, like the world's healthiest critique where it was like, 
everybody was like taking ownership of their own piece of it, recognizing the deficiencies they had in it and saying, I'll do better next time. And so like he didn't even get fired. Like he kept the job and it went forward and did well, retired, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's a pretty cool story about that, that example almost of like how it should go versus how it does go and how he expected it to go was kind of how we expect it to go. And he was preparing a brief in that vein. And then he was just like, what am I doing? Like, this is gross. And it's my fault because I'm in command. And he took complete ownership of it. And that was kind of where the whole idea spawned from. But like, I really wish that it was like a lot more common. You know what I mean? Like, it would just be so much healthier. And I think everybody would have a lot more trust in leadership as a result. Yeah. I mean, especially since I mean, I'd I can't say like everybody, but I feel like at least most people get told when you're a kid that you should always tell the truth, no matter the consequences, which like, obviously nobody does that as a kid, right? but you get to a certain point where like that tag critique I was talking about, I just went there and was like, yeah, I messed up like that. That was on me. Yeah. And you know, it's, it still didn't really go as smoothly as the story you were just telling, but at least I can say that I went in there and admitted fault and wasn't trying to be like, Oh, the, the right. sun was in my eyes, like something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, I've been like that my whole career where I just walked in and like, yeah, I screwed that up, you know, like, and I thought that was like, I thought it was, it made me feel good, but it, I also thought it was like bad for my career. <laughs> and so I just like assumed that it was going to hold me back, but it didn't. And I don't know if I just got lucky or I had the right because I found that I would encounter the right leaders um, like those types of people would like look out for me, if that makes sense. Like I told you about my current CMC, like when he was my like squadron CMC when I was on the boat, he like he based on an interaction we had where he saw my behavior as like the type of behavior he wants and out of his chiefs. But like I kind of went above and beyond, but I thought it was just. I thought it was me just doing what I should be doing. He treated it as like way above and beyond. And uh, ever since then, he's like just been a big fan of mine and we grew really close. And so like, and now I work directly for him. Um, but it's like you kind of, those people find you in, in this weird way and kind of look out for you as a result, at least I found her. And, and maybe that was just dumb luck. I don't know. But yeah, it worked itself out. So I got to a point where I'm a master chief somehow. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I don't like it's, it's some of it. I feel like I wish I feel like I should know like a better way of communicating that, I guess, like that, like, oh, yeah, if you do this, like the Navy will totally reward you for it. But like, I don't know if that's true, because I've met a lot of people that I think do it the right way and deserve to be where I am and retired as first classes and chiefs. And I think you probably hear that story more than you'd hear mine. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, who knows how the variables all calculated in and how they could have been different and whatever. Cause I definitely understood. And I talk about a lot that like, I understood how the advancement system worked and I, I just did what it expected of me so that I would advance. But then I also did all the other stuff like where I just was a good leader at the and If it was at the expense of my career, it was at the expense of my career. And that's always how I looked at it. Like I'll burn the whole thing down 
if I think it's in the best interest of my sailors. Like I've told a commanding officer to his face, I'll retire as a chief if I have to. But like, I'm going down on this hill. Like I'm, I'll die on this hill. You know what I mean? Like I don't care. You can write me whatever eval you want. I'm not okay with this. And uh, every single time I've ever done that, like where I've gone in and like pushed back or like stood on someone's desk or, or said I'd go down with the ship. It's like, it's always worked out well. And that's even if it was painful, like while it was happening or like I didn't make any friends while I was burning bridges. It's like it, it's always been looked at positively by the people that mattered that like that guy stands up for his people, you know, or that guy like will tell you when something's wrong and not be like not BS you. And, and he's going to tell, he's going to give it to you straight or whatever other stupid analogy you want to apply. But like it, and it was weird because I always thought it was going to be my downfall (laughs) and I don't think I'd ever be like a flag level CMC or anything, but uh, I think at some point it probably would have held me back, but it doesn't matter now. Yeah. Yeah, man. Any, uh, anything else you want to capture? Um, no, not really. I think, I think that's all the, yeah. the major points I had. Done three and a half hours. They're going to be so happy with us. They're going to drop this podcast. I'm like, good Lord. So long. Like, hopefully I did a better job of not talking so much this time. I think, yeah, I, th- I think, I think I it went well. I tried to stay quiet more. All right. <laughs> well, if you think it went well and I think it went well, <laughs> then we're just going to decide it went well and Reddit will tell us otherwise. Uh, I'm yeah. sure. But, uh, yeah thanks for doing this again man i'll probably drag you back on more just because right because like i've told other people like it's the reddit critic i had which is super nice like they were very fair but uh which isn't always common on reddit but it uh i told them i'm like it's been difficult to get junior people to come on so it's like when i talk to you i get excited about like getting your perspective because i've i haven't gotten to do much of this like i've had some first classes on um, but it's hard to get second classes that have something to say. And like, you do a really good job of articulating your points. So, um, so yeah, it's like fun to like, <laughs> to get your perspective on this kind yeah. of stuff because not everybody is willing to talk to me about it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, but I appreciate I mean, I'm always it, willing to come back on and talk about, you know, whatever, even if we're just talking about whatever, literally, <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, Love talking to him. It it was really fun to do. I'm sure I'll probably drag him on again. Uh, But it was it was great to get his perspective. Like I said, on the leadership stuff, Um, we we talked a lot about the experience of nukes um, going in through their nuclear specific experiences. But to get his experience that we kind of all go through from a junior sailor perspective um, with him still being in that, in that role, kind of like he's on his first shore duty, still second class, still fresh in his mind. Uh, and he's still going through experiences even now that, um, with leadership that a lot of people struggle with and kind of wonder why leaders do the things that they do and, and stuff like that. So it was really, it was really awesome to get his perspective on those things. And, um, and share that with you all. Um, if you need anything from us, as always, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. 
could DM us on Instagram, Reddit, Discord, all the things. Um, and if you could like review, share, subscribe all on all the platforms for all the things, it helps. Like if you get on your podcast platform and give us a review and um, if you share the content or tag your friends in content uh, to let them know that, hey, go check out this episode, blah, blah, blah. Um, it it kind of helps get the word out and leverages the algorithms to uh to do that um and then last thing if you want to support us uh we have a donate link on the website all that fun all those funds if you're able to and generous enough to uh to do that go towards just paying the the subscription fees and everything for the podcast itself so it could remain free uh and i I don't ever really plan on that changing regardless even if i got to come out of pocket but it's sure nice to not and then uh if you want to support the expansion of the platform it's going to turn into a business eventually uh you can go to dgutsapparel.com that is a for-profit business uh where we're trying to make heritage gear that you'll actually wear in public uh we're expanding that out to just like heritage and pride gear i want to expand it out to more and more like ratings career fields communities everything I want to get representation for just about everybody on there eventually, but, uh, it takes a healthy amount of time to design those things. I'm doing this all myself. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it, the next one up I think is going to be bosun's mates. Cause I know a lot of them. So stay tuned for that. And then, uh, yeah, if you want to support us, you can go check it out. Don't give up the ship apparel. You can find us at D gets apparel on Instagram, uh, or don't give up the ship apparel on Facebook. And then of course, D gets apparel.com. Uh, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship.